Welcome back to Cooper Duper, a Twin Peaks podcast for regular people. This is Jess. I am Mikey. <laughs> and we're back. Um, having just put in another entry into the book of Lynch movies that is the <laughs> appendix of this podcast. So we only have one more Lynch movie. You keep saying, eventually I'll get it right, but we only have one more. So Oh, so you're implying that that... Yeah, that wasn't it. <laughs> wasn't it. What about... Wait, did we do Inland and Pearl already? That's next. That's, oh, so that's, that's one more. And then I have What Did Jack Do? That's the like 20-minute Netflix short film he did a couple years oh, ago. Oh, okay. Oh, so it's gonna our last episode's going to come out the day before my B-Day. Um, uh, uh-huh. <laughs> so, yeah, I think I'm narrowing in. I think by the last episode I'll have something okay. pretty good. I like appendix a whole lot. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, or your like body doesn't even need an appendix, though. Supplementary material, maybe something. Yeah, no, anyway. So um, today we uh, we watched arguably one of Lynch's most popular yeah. films. I think so. I think if you're talking about like crossing over audiences, this is easily his most popular. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, Eraserhead is one of his most Lynch movies. Yeah, but like, and that, but that also feels more like a name check that like sure. film nerds do a little bit yeah, more yeah, than yeah. like yeah. my parents haven't seen Eraserhead. Yeah, and people have seen Dune but don't know it. I, I, sure. I'd say it's a toss up between this and Blue Velvet as being. Mm-hmm. You ask a stranger on the street, "Do you know who David Lynch is?" Yes, name a David Lynch movie. I feel like Blue Velvet it's, is... It's Blue Velvet or it's Mulholland Drive. Yeah. Um, or Twin Peaks, arguably. Right, but if if right. we're going... If but, we're eliminating television and just saying movies. Um, uh, but, but yeah, oh, uh, <laughs> quickly, I texted this to Mikey earlier. I was listening to the most recent episode of My Brother, My Brother and Me. Mm-hmm. That would have come out this past Monday, which would be August 23rd, Third. 2021. Um but anyway, they're com- they're talking about um, the director of some new movie complaining about pe- things are coming out on TV screens and that's terrible. I mean, and, yeah, a lot of people. Uh, Scorsese did a whole thing about. Oh, that. Scorsese's mad about how yeah, film has changed. That's are. so fucking weird and original of him. Isn't he the one who hates Marvel movies for yeah. some reason? Yeah, like listen, Scorsese, you're very good, but also like. Like, don't, you're not an old man. You don't have to be angry at what the kids do these days. Well, it's, uh, the thing is, I, and what I get, like, I go back and forth all the time with all of these arguments and debates. The problem is, like, sure, I I enjoy watching most of the Marvel movies. I Mm -hmm. think they're entertaining enough. The problem is those big capitalist behemoths, Mm -hmm. Disney, Marvel, whatever, are strong arming and, like, wiping out art films. And I think the problem isn't so much that he doesn't like those movies. I think he'd be fine coexisting with them. I is think, that what he said, or is that's what you're? Are is this what you're like, kind of explaining on his behalf? Maybe a little bit. Because but my understanding ex- was it's, not. It's that. my take. My take is kind of not talking about Scorsese in particular, not talking about Lynch in particular. Christopher Quarry is on record saying this shit too. I. It's not about that I think the issue is that you're muscling out art with the fact that you got a you know a theater that plays 
It's got 18 screens, and 17 of them are Marvel, and one of them is like a high budget indie. You know what I mean? Like it's yeah, and it's the yeah, it's that's the problem that they're having with it. And I, they have every right to voice their opinion. Do I think that Marvel movies and and Disney and all that needs to be eliminated? Not necessarily, mm-hmm. but I don't know. I think I think there there was a place 20 years ago where all of this coexisted and that it, that space is dwindling and i think that's the the root of the problem that everybody seems to have with, within the industry sure yeah i mean yes and i don't think that's wrong but also there have been 24 marvel movies and obviously there's dc you know like it's not just marvel mm-hmm. marvel's shorthand there's been 24 movie Marvel movies since 2007, which I grant you is a lot, but it's not like those are the only movies that are ever in theaters. Like we went to the movies this weekend, and there's arguably not one of those. The, and there's and obviously this is pre-COVID. There, it's a lot more complicated than that. But right. like also, I to me when Martin Scorsese says that to me, it's like okay, then go fucking find some 23 year old wonderkin kind and. Fund them like it. He has the ability to put these things in motion. It's it's really stupid, I think, to blame the Hollywood machine when a right. you're a part of it well, and b you probably. I'm sure he owns a production the, studio of the some different, kind. The and diff- if he wants to say we're going to make art for art's sake and fuck making a profit, which I am a hundred percent for. By all means, put that art into the world. But you don't get to complain when you're one of the most powerful people in Hollywood. The difference is they are. He is funding those projects. The difference is Disney has it in their contracts to muscle out specific films. If you want if you want to get the new Marvel movie, you can't play this, this, and this. Those are in their contracts. That's the problem. And it's not... Wait, I don't... like. Like, like this is this is considered a, a competitor. If you want to play X movie on this weekend, you don't get Black Widow. So so they're actively. Does that happen to like the big chain? every single theater? Every Has single there been contract we haven't been able to that, see that in Disney. Regal? The, in, in our yeah, every single like project that Disney puts out, mm-hmm. they have clauses saying this is what we're going up against that week that weekend. If you want to have this movie, you can't play XX, whatever. Have you seen this? Like, have you ever tried to go see a movie and it's not available, even though... Where no, we because to- everyone bows down to Disney because that's the moneymaker. It's, it's... No, I'm saying, you like, there is a movie you want to see, but you can't go see it at Cantera because yeah. that's happened where- to you? Werewolves Within was, was the most recent one. Some, they boxed out werewolves with they, they box out independent any any independent films they want to dominate the they want to own the theater basically like that we're we're, we're on the cusp of Disney try, like this is what it, it happened it has to do with what studios are putting it out and who are they subsidiaries of it's all just capitalist garbage but it's an issue I don't know if werewolves within was specifically one of those. But a lot of those theaters that get limited release are because, you know, that's why they that's that's why Disney just bought um, uh, what do you call it um, or Fox Fox it's it's part of Fox, so yeah so like Disney bought Fox and now owns everything under the Fox which is why you don't see any more 
Fox movies being put into like, oh, let's do a like they shut they put a, a complete shutdown on all of the like uh, Fox movie like 20th Century Fox or whatever like the Fox movie production uh-huh. um, like all of those like, oh, let's do re-release of Alien or whatever movie and do like a, you know, re-release in theaters? re-release theaters like that. Uh-huh. They do. They have those special sure. promotions. Yeah. They shut yeah, them all yeah. down. They uh-huh. like Disney is actively trying to hinder every single other studio. Like it's like Disney is the enemy of art basically. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I think, I think when Scorsese goes on that rant or whatever, he's treading a line of not completely ruining his own career while also saying Disney is absolute garbage and needs to be brought up on fucking like um, monopoly. Yeah. Antitrust laws. Like, Mm -hmm. like there, like the reason a lot of these like multiplex houses like came to be is, is as a counter to, the big production studio saying, no, the only movies that are going to play are ours Mm -hmm. and we're going to put a block on everything else. Mm -hmm. And so that's the big reason why they started having these multi-screen theaters and now they're starting to just take over all the multi-screens also. And granted, people want to see them, which is the hard part. Mm -hmm. And I think that's what he's trying to do is convince people, you don't want to see these. Like, this isn't... You're, these are ruining film and it's all just about making money and taking your money and it's not about they don't care what you think they don't care about any of that and I think that's what they're going for mm-hmm. um, but anyway like that's the. but those are things that like those there's every time they get a new movie like there's always at least one franchise movie playing in the theater at any given time Mm-hmm. It's, you know, a new Star Wars, a new Marvel, a new Fast and Furious, whoever the big studio is who has the power to muscle out other movies. Mm-hmm. There's always at least one in the theater at any given time. We're in the tail end of Fast and Furious, and next week there's a new Marvel. Um, Black Widow was just ended. Black, Black Widow just ended. Yeah, exactly. Like, there's... You know, and Cruella happened uh, not that long ago. Was that even theatrically released? Yeah, they tried. It was it was one of those they did a release theater release. Plus, you could buy, you could pay twenty bucks and rent it on Disney Plus or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it's it's them. Which is all of this to say, this is an interesting segue into Mulholland Drive because that's kind of what Mulholland Drive is about. Mm-hmm. Is just the horrific things that go on within the within the inside of the Hollywood system, mm-hmm. um, which I think is kind of like it's abstract enough that people could be dumb within the industry and not see it, but it seems it's pretty scathing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I feel like yeah. I don't know. I feel like we got a little off, off, yeah. off oh, you whatever. Think- but yeah. do you, I mean, would you, where were you going with that? Like, I have I feel no like, idea. That was 25 okay. minutes ago. Okay. Um, all right. Then, yeah, this is the second time I've seen it. Um, I didn't really remember the first time very well. Yeah, this is, I, this is the one I think I've seen the most mm-hmm. as far outside of maybe, maybe Firewalk With Me, but. 
Mm-hmm. I've seen this quite a few times. Uh, and honestly, I think I like it more every time I see it. Mulholland Drive? Yeah, mm-hmm. it's it's really fucking good. Yeah, I do like it. Uh, so we start with this with this car wreck. So this dark-haired... Well, w- technically, before... We start with the jitterbug. Yeah, we start with the little jitterbug where we see... I'm going to refer to her as Naomi Watts because character names change a lot. Yeah. So it's hard to know if... Are we looking at Betty? Are we looking at Diane or whatever? Mm-hmm. Um, we're looking, we see Diane and Naomi Watts and we see those two older people who were there with her in the airport. Mm-hmm. Um, and we also see another... No, that was after this... Mm-hmm. Okay. The the airport was after. Yeah. But the two, those people are in that jitterbug bit standing behind her. There's the jitterbug bit with like the purple backdrop. Oh, yeah, yeah, and yeah. And then she comes into the front of it kind of superimposed on top. Mm-hmm. It's like blown out really white. Mm-hmm. And right behind her are those two older people. Oh, okay. Who seem like parents, but. They're not. Are she not. clearly met them on yeah. the flight over. Um. And then we also see a shot of a camera as a POV walking into a bedroom. Mm-hmm. Um, and you hear kind of heavy breathing over it. And it falls into bed with like pink sheets, green blanket, mm-hmm. and then kind of <laughs> dives into the pillow. Which, kind of, like, they seem like throwaways before the credits or whatever start mm-hmm. rolling in the, the long drive up Mulholland. But I feel like they're pivotal bits of information in order to, like, decode this, if Uh that's what you're trying to do. Okay. Uh, And so we see a dark-haired woman. She's in the back of a limousine. This is Laura Herring's character, which also I think we should refer to by the actress name, not character name, because hers changes changes a bunch, too. Yeah. So what's her? I, I just thought of her. Her as name. Rita. She's credited as Laurel Elena Herring. Um, I honestly, I've only ever seen it written. I know somebody of Hispanic descent who her name is spelled L A U R A, but it's pronounced Lauda. Mm-hmm. So I don't know if her name is Laura. I don't know if her name is Lauda. I don't know if her name is Lauda and she's Americanized it and just goes by Laura because it's easier for people. I'm probably going to call them Betty and um, Rita. That Those were, to me, the names that stuck. Okay, but if, if at least for my interpretation of this movie, Betty is 100% made up. Betty is 100% made Betty up? Betty is made up. Naomi Watts' character is Diane Selwyn. Okay, well then let's dig in because I'm not <laughs> sure what that means. Um, okay, so this woman, she's in this limousine. It pulls over. They pull a gun on her. Um, and then all of a sudden these teens who are rocketing around these uh, these windy roads. Uh, and they there's hit a, There's a great juxtaposition of those two shots. You see the limos driving really slow down mm-hmm. these like Mulholland Drive curves curves yeah and then the teens are sped up and like and like zipping mm-hmm. and it's just that jet juxtaposition is really interesting mm-hmm. of like the slow and the fast coming yeah. together I really like it um so the one of these cars 
crashes into this limousine, big explosion. And I will say the um, I felt like it was the most unflinching look at a car accident I've ever seen in a movie. Whereas, like, I f- it genuinely, and I'm, I assume mm. they did it all practically. It ge- and it's probably easy to do because the limo, not easy, but easier to do because the limo is parked. They don't have to have two cars crashing sure? into each other. But just like it, it wasn't cut a few. It wasn't like a an car action. crumbles. Yeah, yeah. It, and it wasn't like an action movie that it cuts to a different bunch of different things and, and it there's flips an twelve times. And it yeah. Was, yeah, it was just these cars just distorted and crumbling is exactly mm-hmm, right mm-hmm. um and it was really scary to watch um and then we see and it's worth noting what the exchange is where she says what are you doing we don't stop here which is the exact same dialogue that happens later in the movie mm-hmm. when naomi watts is in the backseat of the right. limo um so she so this woman exits the car she's immediately collapses she's clearly in shock and she just starts walking, um, and she finds an apartment that happens to be open as a woman is mo- seems to be moving out. She kind of slips in, although it seemed very or like going on vacation. She just has some yeah. luggage. She she's, she's leaving for an extended period. Yeah, she, yeah. she's going to Canada. We late, later found out to film a movie, um, but she uh, just kind of slips in. Although I think Aunt Ruth to me it looked like she very clearly saw her, so I'm sure that means something. Yeah, like, saw her walk in and didn't react to it. Well, she sees her walk into the courtyard, not necessarily I the unit. Think okay, I I think, but I could be wrong. You're also there's a moment too that's interesting where like she's afraid by like two drunk people leaving a house that are like. Mm-hmm. Oh hey, and they're like kind of hanging over, and she like dives behind some yeah. bushes and then falls asleep there. Yeah. yeah, like like she's very much in fear. Yes. Um. So she sneaks into this apartment, and then uh, later that day, we cut to um, LAX, and we see a young aspiring actress named Betty Elms. Um. She oh they don't talk about you know she runs into the this older couple while she or she clearly flew with this couple she's walking out with mm-hmm. them from LAX and they say oh I just know just you're gonna be great beaming oh my god ear to ear giant grin so excited to mm-hmm. be in LA like I'm gonna be so famous I'm gonna fulfill my dreams it's very like a la Annie there's the um, <laughs> The part like NYC, three bucks, two bags, one me. And like, it's just like her like spinning around the stage, just being really like, it's completely that starstruck girl from, yeah. yeah. It's, and so naive. Oh my God. So So horribly naive. What I'm really interested in exploring in this is how, so you think Betty or the, this character, this blonde woman does not exist. Correct. Okay. Because my my thought throughout much of it was very much like, this feels like a 32-year-old woman playing a 19-year-old. Mm-hmm. Like, just has that very starstruck, like, mm-hmm. stars in her eyes thing. Which, at first, I was like, oh, are they infantilizing her? And, like, you know, every girl who comes into Hollywood is, you know... It's, a, it's also shot in such a way where, like, it's a lot of overexposure and soft focus and backlight so like everything's kind of glowing in this like 
bullshit kind of way. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? It's it it looks like the <laughs> the cinematic approach to polishing a turd. Yeah. You know what yeah. I mean? Like you can make it look good, but maybe it's not. And I assume Lynch is one of those people who hates LA and hates Hollywood. I I honestly I don't know. I've never I don't know I don't unless it's buried in subconscious of some interview or something I read or saw or whatever somewhere. I think this movie is a direct response to making Dune and the cinema, um, like the the executives and stuff and their influence and 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 him them stifling him mm. in trying to make Dune. Gotcha. So you think he is Justin Thoreau? I think he. Uh, yes. But I, I think it's less about like him personally being interjected into a character and more just a scathing review of Hollywood. Mm-hmm. Um, that said, I think Justin Thoreau and Naomi Watts are the same also. I think they're the same fucking person too. Wait, what do you mean? I think I think all like You think all three of these characters are facets of the same person? Three three who are you oh i'm assuming three. rita i think there's a real is life the real person and is that right now rita, you're saying that rita's laura herring right laura I, herring. I think i think i think there's a real in the reality of the film i think there's a real person who existed named diane selwyn mm-hmm. represented by naomi watts and she is an aspiring actress mm-hmm. trying to make it in hollywood and just gets fucking her ass handed to her at every fucking turn because Hollywood is a disaster. Mm -hmm. I think most of this film is takes place within Dream and she is represented by Betty Elms, Adam Kesher, Justin Thoreau, um, and the Patrick Fischler character who is the guy in Winkies who talks about his dream and sees the, the creepy person behind the dumpster yeah i think all three of those are diane are representations of diane and i think the real diane is the one with the short like the choppy the, the blonde chopped, hair chopped the blonde hair who hires the hitman and all that stuff i think that's the real diane and that's the person who exists in the reality of this film mm-hmm. and then within the dream logic stuff all of those people are subconscious or conscious manifestations of her desires, emotions, dreams, thoughts, all those things. And so sometimes when she wants to be in control, she manifests herself as Adam Kesher. Mm -hmm. And sometimes, you know, when she's becoming conscious of her dreams, she puts herself into the um, Patrick Fischler character, who I think is named Dan, which is similar to Diane. Mm. So there's something to be said there. Um, but yeah, I think, I think if you, if, if in order to make sense of this, I think if you can boil it down to what is real and what is not is how I've tried to approach it. And the more I watch it, I end up with Diane Selwyn is one of the only real people in this movie. Interesting. Who I think there is a real Adam Kesher, 
who is the director because you get to that point where like Adam Kesher is there is when he's got the megaphone and he's got his name on the megaphone and right. all that stuff and he's directing the scene or the audition for the new girl that's called the Sylvia North story is the movie that they're working on mm-hmm. and later at the dinner scene at the end when she's breaking down they refer to oh we met on the set of the Sylvia North story and the one guy says oh directed by Bob such and such Bob is the guy she auditions with with so, or for for um, in that other scene so Adam Kesher didn't direct the Sylvia North story Okay. If that's reality. Do Uh you know what I mean? Uh Uh-huh. So there's a chance Adam Kesher doesn't exist as a film director. Or the director of that particular movie, at least. Okay. I think think it's, it's her taking in all of these people and things she knows around her and using them as symbols to digest or make sense of her own issues. All right. Well, it's pretty straightforward. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So um, later that morning, an aspiring actress named Betty Elms she arrives at this apartment. It's normally occupied by her aunt Ruth. We meet Coco, who lets Is her this, in. Just real quick, did this skip over the Winkies scene? Because I thought that was the, um, the first scene. No, it does not skip it over. And okay. It's not the first I thing. thought that was before we met Naomi Watts, though. Okay. I, don't, I, 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 I mean, I could be wrong, but I thought before we met Naomi, Naomi Watts, we saw the whole scene with Patrick Fischler and the the guy who is, I don't know, his therapist or whoever. Okay. Okay. Continue then. Um. So Betty uh, is startled to see this dark-haired woman while she first sees some of her dress and her shoes on the ground and her bag. Mm -hmm. Um, And then she sees her, uh, finds her in the shower, which was a really cool shot, the way that that beveled glass looks. I really liked it. It's interestingly, like, sultry Mm -hmm. in this way, but, like, still very innocent. But just, like, the way she's standing in there is, like, this, like, it's like an art piece. Like, mm-hmm. the whole thing is very, like, a beautiful image. Of right. The, yeah. Um, so she helps this woman out. The woman says she doesn't know who she is. Uh, she calls herself Rita. Um, she sees just a poster in the room that she's staying in of Rita Hayworth. Of Rita Hayworth. Um, in a beautiful shot where she's looking in the mirror mm-hmm. and then there's the smaller makeup mirror that's mm-hmm. only reflecting the Rita Hayworth poster and yeah. just looking into it and it's a gorgeous shot and then you slowly zoom into it as it dissolves into the, the mm-hmm. shot of Naomi Watts it's oh, a yeah, beautiful very, beautiful, very beautiful moment uh, so to help um, this dark haired woman remember her Rita as of now remember her identity um, Betty looks in her purse where she finds nothing but a huge amount of money and a blue key mm-hmm. which odd key like odd not key. just um, a regular i've seen it, it's how the keys to um a safety deposit box in zurich were described <laughs> really? in really in the dan brown uh da vinci code 
Oh, like okay. one of the first things is they it's a triangular key yeah. with these kind of divots and it was for And it has in the handle of the key it has like a little triangle that, cut out and a moon like a, a crescent yeah, moon Yeah, that shape. I don't think was but but that sort of that's sure. I've heard of that kind of key shape before. Sure. Sure, sure. And that's all that's the only reference I have to it. Um but I loved that it was like that kind of electric blue color oh, which yeah. is cool. It's and it's really and truly like there's a little bit of dark blue in that Rita Hayworth poster but Outside of those things that kind of have to be blue, which are muted typically, mm. there's no fucking blue in this movie except for the keys, the box, and then the the third act. Hmm. I didn't notice there's that. There's al- there's almost no blue at all. Interesting. And if there is, it's very muted. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we go to a diner called Winkies, which appears to be a faux Denny's. Yeah, and um, it's again another fucking Wizard of Oz reference. Um, Winky. Yeah, the Winkies are those are the names of, you know, those guys with like the green face and the big like fuzzy hats. The um, which were Wicked Witch of the West's foot yeah, soldiers. Yeah, they're uh-huh. they're called Winkies. Huh. I don't know. Um, so a man. I think that's more explored in the novelizations, but they're called Winkies, okay. um, which again draws you to the idea of. I had a dream and you were there and you were there and mm. you were there. Like, I feel like that's the catalyst of this entire story. Sure. Um, so a man tells another man about a nightmare in which he dreamt of encountering a horrific figure behind the diner. Oh. Um, and it's a real long take of, it was a really cool performance. I, I liked it. I love Patrick Fischler. Yeah, he's, I, he's an underrated great character actor mm-hmm. um but they the thing the couple of things that are interesting to me on this is a he's telling this story and then almost everything he says plays out later in her like to me this is her justifying her guilt of hiring the hitman at the end it takes place at the same booth same location she sees the guy at the thing mm-hmm. at the cash register and stuff like that. I feel like this is all a fucked up dream she's having about that instance. Mm-hmm. Um, what gets me about this and I what I don't have a a read on or a take or whatever is that they keep referring to the man behind the dumpster. Like the man behind the curtain? Right. Well, the man behind the dumpster they refer to him they refer to him as the man behind the dumpster and they see the man behind the dumpster the man is a woman and is played by a woman mm. and looks feminine to me mm-hmm. totally why do they keep referring to that person as the man behind the dumpster i don't know and i the only thing now just now what i'm hot take at the moment, hot coming take, in, our coming favorites. in hot. What I'm putting together is that maybe the confusion of man woman could potentially confirm my theory of Patrick Fischler's character is a representation of the Naomi Watts character, and by him referring to her as a man means maybe flip flop both of those, right? And he is a she, and he's Diane, mm-hmm. and the man behind the dumpster is a woman and Uh she's a she. I'm wondering if that whole scene is kind of inverted. 
because also Patrick Fisher sitting on the opposite side of the booth is Diane is in that in the scene where she hires the mm-hmm. I'm thinking that entire scene might be inverted down to gender interesting okay but I just put that together now hot take yeah copyright patent pending I don't know <laughs> Uh, so elsewhere, director Adam Kesher has his film commandeered by mobsters who insist that he cast an unknown actress named Camilla Rhodes as the lead. All right. So I feel like the thing that sort of mystified me the most was this storyline. Yeah. Um, now I am wondering if it is another instance of David Lynch just kind of smashing to kind of related stories together and just calling that a movie like the way usually he does it like first half last half or the first 20 minutes in the last like 70 minutes or whatever um but it, that was like every time i was because there's that one moment that that uh, justin Thoreau and betty like have that old hollywood moment of mm-hmm. like they make eye contact and that's the big zoom on her face and they're all beautiful um but other than that, he, it seems to me these characters don't cross over much unless there is a huge thing I was missing, which is always possible in my case. Um, but it just the whole time I was like, wait, is she going to get cast by him? And even though this movie is long, it's two and a half hours, I was surprised when there was only, whatever, 25 minutes left because I was like, wait, we haven't tied these stories together yeah. yet. I think, I think this is less, this is a, a moment that is less so okay something worth noting before we get too far is the first like hour and 20 minutes of this movie Mm -hmm. was a pilot for a television show almost unaltered Mm -hmm. um it was put out there's interviews with Lynch complaining about the people who watched it and they were on the phone most of the time and watching it in the background and couldn't appreciate it and it didn't get picked up as a television show. Uh Then people liked it enough that said, let's try and get you funding and he got in touch with Studio Canal and got the funding to finish it as a film. And he mostly just tacked on the last 45 minutes or whatever. Okay. But almost unaltered is the first hour and 20 minutes is the pilot. Mm -hmm. I think they were going to drag out the assault on Hollywood more. Yeah. And instead they just kind of turn that into. Yeah. There's there's three ways to land a role in Hollywood. Mm -hmm. You can sleep your way to the top, which is what Camila Rhodes does. You can get interference by studio heads who demand you hire this fucking person because we our fucking algorithms say that they're hot right now or mm-hmm. whatever or you can be talented and talented is the least likely way to land you a job it can happen right but it's the least likely way and i think diane selwyn the naomi watts character mm-hmm. is incredibly talented and still doesn't get it because she's losing out to people who are either being pushed through because of studio execs mm-hmm. or people who are just fucking the right people. Wait, was she the one who, she? Uh, the one who you said is the real person? Diane? Diane. 
Was she the one who did the first audition in that sound booth with the two extras on either side? And she was like, don't forget, I'm the one playing this no, role. That's that a, wasn't that's her? That's a nobody. Okay. That's a nobody. So is that just to demonstrate that that's like, just, even if yeah, this person is do- right? It doesn't matter who you are. Yeah. Like, it's it's to show the, like, how arduous the fucking, aud- and bullshit the audition yeah. process is. Sure. I think, I think a lot of the, and like, Famously, Lynch doesn't audition people. He has oh, yeah. meetings with them and gets a feeling from them and yeah. says, like, I think you, A, look the part, and B, can get to where I need to get you. Mm. And and he does that by just, like, having conversations with people instead of come in, do the role, dress the part, and then fuck you, we'll move on, we'll talk, you're, have your people call my fucking people. Mm-hmm. Like, all of it is such bullshit. Yeah. And I think that's all he's saying with characters like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think there's only one Camila Rhodes. And I think that's Laura Elena Herring. Okay. And I think the blonde version of Camila Rhodes, who you see in the headshot, who does the audition right after that audition, mm-hmm. is only somebody she saw once at that dinner party. Okay. Who she put her face on him because they melded together when they kissed each other. When, uh, when Camila kisses oh, yeah, yeah, Rita, yeah, yeah. quote yeah. unquote. And she melded them together to be one Camila Rhodes. Okay. But really and truly, there is only one Camila Rhodes, and it's Laura Elena Herring. Excuse me. Okay. That's, that's kind of my take, is... Mm-hmm. That's how I've been able to try to dissect this is try to pinpoint what's real, what's fantasy, what's dream, what's, you know, whatever, mm-hmm. what's made up or what's, yeah. Um, so Adam, our director, Justin Throw, he refuses to hire this woman as the lead and decides to just go home. Um there he finds his wife cheating on him with Billy Ray Cyrus, obviously. This scene is fantastic. He doesn't say anything. He grabs what we eventually learn is the jewelry box out of one of their drawers. Sure. Brings it to the kitchen, runs to the garage, picks a <laughs> can of violently pink paint. I think pink is important, now that, since you mentioned that. A um, couple of things. First, Billy Ray Cyrus, incredible. Like, hey, man, just some maybe he just has, let it go. It's he has so the good. deadest it's eyes so I've ever seen. Um, I hate that. But I like it. I like Thoreau's approach too. Of like, he grabs the jewelry, as though to say, like, this, you got this shit because of me. Yeah, that's the vibe I get. Is that I'm the I'm the guy who's buying you all this shit, mm-hmm. and this is what you're gonna do to me. And, mm-hmm. And he's going through the kitchen. You see him like eyeballing like the olive oil and shit on the shelf. Then he's like, no, that's not enough. Goes yeah. to the thing, gets the, the bright pink paint. Yeah. I think whenever you see Naomi, Naomi Watts in pink, that's when she's Betty, quote unquote. Okay. She's always wearing, when you first meet her, she's wearing that like pink, pink sweater. Again, yeah. She wears a pink bathrobe. There's one point where she's wearing like a pale green t-shirt. Or like a tank top, mm-hmm. but she's got a bright pink hair clip. Oh. Like she's she's represented by pink. So when you get him, this is the reason to have this dark black shadowy figure all of a sudden gets pink all over him to say, 
bing, bing, let's connect these two. Mm-hmm. Pink goes to pink. Okay. Because you don't see that much pink otherwise. And even when he first pulls up, he pulls up outside his house in front of a bright pink plant. Mm. Like, I think, I think pink is symbolizing the made-up Betty character. Okay. But why... Oh, so it's just to connect those two characters. It's, it's to, a way to, to like, like to here's the thing that's going them. on. Let's tell this story, but also it ends up putting pink on his on himself mm-hmm. to say, look at, I'm pink, I'm Betty. Sure. Um, so, so he sort of scrams and he ends up in this flop house. Um, the, the mobsters withdraw his line of credit and arrange for him to meet a mysterious cowboy who urges him yeah. to cast Camilla for his own Before, good. I, I want to go back a little bit. I feel like there's some, like, I know these summaries are pretty generic, so they gloss over some things, but some things, just like looking back at notes that I took and a couple of things that we kind of bypassed her. One, the, what I wanted to mention during the first meeting of Ruth or, when, or the first meeting of when she goes to the hotel and she keeps referencing her Aunt Ruth. Mm-hmm. Um, something I've heard people take uh, mention, this isn't something I came up with, but I've heard a few times, is also a potential symbol of this whole storyline early on, the early stuff you see with Naomi Watts being bullshit. Um, Aunt Ruth, if you put a space in the right place, it's A, untruth. <laughs> um <laughs> And she is a symbol of whenever Aunt Ruth is involved, this is bullshit. Because we learn at the dinner party, Aunt Ruth is fucking dead. We do? That's when we, that's the, when we first, the part we paused and I rewound it when we first at that dinner party. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And she's talking about her dead aunt. Oh, of course. Aunt Ruth is dead. If, if. This is assuming that dinner party is reality, and that's kind of the approach I take. That dinner party feels like reality to okay. me. Okay. This is where all these characters are together. That's like a jumping together. off point. That's, yeah, that's, that's really the clue to this entire movie is that dinner party. Um, and she references Aunt Ruth several t- and, and refers to her as being dead. So every reference to Aunt Ruth is an untruth, a mm-hmm. untruth. Mm-hmm. Interesting thing. Very conspiracy theory-esque. Right, right. Might be bullshit, fucked right. up coincidence, whatever, who knows. But I liked it. Yeah, it's fun. Um, and the other thing I wanted to mention was, oh, during the espresso business exec scene. First of all, why he brought a fucking like six iron or whatever to the meeting I think is incredible so and so weird. Um, it's Dan Hedaya and Angelo Badalamenti is mm-hmm. the other brother who is the one who orders the espresso and then like doesn't even spit it out. Just lets it, it like, so, let it, like fall uh, out of his mouth onto the napkin in like the grossest way. Absolutely. But the way that. he drinks it out of the that coffee mug is almost the same shot you see of Naomi Watts at the dinner party drinking coffee and she drinks the coffee out of the mug yet her mug has like this weird squiggle a big dot and then another weird squiggle if you look at it Mm -hmm. it says SOS yeah help Mm -hmm. and so he so the Angelo Balamenti character 
all the espresso out onto the, the napkin. And next to him, Hadea stands up and yells, Help me! In this weird way, which I think is a direct correlation. SOS, help me. This is, again, her inserting herself into this scene, which she has no part of. You know what I mean? I mean, because if sure. all of, the, But if all of this is in Naomi Watts' mind... Why would she know any of this? And I think, oh, she's just putting herself into this body. I don't know. But I think it's worth noting that she's drink. The only time you see mugs, or not the only times, because she pours the brown coffee mug or whatever later, but the only time you see her drinking coffee out of that thing it's a mug that says SOS and the other time you see this guy do a weird coffee mug thing where he spits it out on the thing the other guy yells help me Mm -hmm. there's something there whether I get it or not I don't know right Um, I don't know uh, so then we see a uh, a scene of uh, this hitman who was trying to steal a little black book full of numbers and he accidentally Kill, ends up killing three people. Real dark <laughs> Lynchian yeah, humor. Yeah, this is great, silly Lynch shit. Uh, and the, this guy you might recognize as being from Lebowski. Uh, I recognize him from Clueless. Okay, really? Okay, mm-hmm. I don't. Who is he in Clueless? I remember. He him. is um, the guy who tries to hit on who Cher is trying to. Set up with um, with Ty. And he goes, Ty? Huh. Really? Okay. You think I should be with Ty? Do you know who my father is? <laughs> I don't remember that. That's good. I want to double check. I, it's I always person. remember. I remember him as being the guy who attacks the dude in his apartment, throws his head in the toilet, and he's the guy who's like, yeah, isn't this guy like supposed to be like a millionaire? Yeah. He's that guy. Oh, interesting. Well, now I, want, I need to check and make sure that you're right. He was also in Lost. He was, what's his name? Jacob? Is that the name? Oh, wait, the invisible guy? Mark Pellegrino? That could be. That sounds. Then that's not who I was thinking of. That's not the he's guy. A, from... Yeah, he's in Lost. He's in Lebowski. He might not. I don't know. I don't remember Clueless well enough. It's been a while since I've seen that. Um, but I, I, I know he's the guy from Lost. He's the guy from Lebowski. And he's the guy from this. That's how I know him. And he also has weird contacts in, in this movie. Where he's got one. His right eye is yeah. dark and his left eye is light. I don't know if they. I don't remember. I don't know which one's normal. I don't know if they give him a darker one or a lighter one. It looks like the. Um the dark one that's, the dark one was fake yeah he's blonde hair I assume the, the light blue eye is more accurate okay Are you're not thinking of Brecken no, no, Meyer no, no, or whatever okay no, no, no. Elton his name was um close Elton Jeremy Sisto oh Jeremy Sisto yeah 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 so that wasn't him though. he's from like uh um six feet under yeah. Okay. Well, Stuff like that. That's on me. Okay. 
Okay. We'll yeah. just cut all that out, even though I did such a good impression of him. <laughs> Ty! Oh, it's just... Yeah. No, just that's... One of those things I'm very good at. Yeah, that's Jeremy's sister, who's, who's great. It's um, too bad. It's too bad. But this guy, yeah, this guy was in Lebowski, and he was in the last season or two of Lost. Yeah, I remember him now. Yeah. I, I, they both um, have, like, a tall upper lip. Sure. That. But he just, like, I just love his, like... <sighs> Man, <laughs> like every time, because he just keeps fucking He's up. So yes, and it just it's it's great because you don't know how this fits into anything yet right. until you realize that like, oh, this is the fucking moron she hired to kill somebody, right? And he, because he even mentions it on the way out when they're like loading into the van or whatever at the end of like. Yeah, you heard about the accident? You didn't see a girl running around? Dark-haired girl, right? Like, they're looking for mm-hmm. her mm-hmm. to kill her. Right. And it's just a great little scene because you don't know how it fits in until the last 10 minutes of the movie or whatever. Sure. Okay, so um, so Rita and Betty are trying to learn more about Rita's accident, um, so they go to Winkies for reasons. Um, they're served by waitress. They went, they went there initially to go hit the payphone. So that they could call the police department, ask if there were any accidents, but not do it from a traceable line. Right. Right. Um, So uh, so the waitress, whose name is Diane, um, it causes Reed. Betty later. What? Is it at that time? Her name is Diane. When you see that waitress at the end. Oh, her name is Betty. Her name is Betty. Um, And so Rita sees the name tag and it kind of lights a spark I don't know um, mm-hmm. about the name Diane Selwyn Selwyn mm-hmm. Selwyn um, they find Diane Selwyn in the phone book they call her and she doesn't answer and yeah they find a D Selwyn technically yeah so they don't necessarily know if it's correct yeah um, and then and then there is Betty's audition scene mm-hmm. which I enjoy. At first, I was getting the yucks pretty hard. Sure. Before that. Before that. Before the the actual audition. This is so. There's a very very common fake out in movies that they give you where they start on a close up of somebody and they're doing something really dramatic and oh. they are giving the scene oh. and then they cut to the other shot and oh they're they're Rehearsing in front of kids yeah. or they're oh they're practicing it. This is one of the best deliveries of that that I've ever seen. Mm-hmm. Where she, because it could be that she's talking to that person. Where it's like, you need to get out of here. Okay, we hit. This is where we're at now. We've we've hit a boiling. Yeah, point. something cool. is. Escalated. Let's going. You know what's what's going on. Let's 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 go with this. And then you, the camera pulls out a little bit on Laura Herring, and she lifts the script page up, and you realize, oh, they're rehearsing that scene. And it's the. Most effective one of these I think I've ever seen. Mm, I like a lot. Like they happen a lot. They start a scene and it's, you know, mm. the one that comes to mind is like the rock giving a big uh, the, in one oh, of the. Oh, before the haka? Oh, yeah. And it's, and it's children. But like, yeah. you know, it's going to be. They just did that in Ted Lasso with, yeah. with Roy Kent. Yeah. You know, it's going to be something different. You don't know what it's going to be, but you can tell that they're setting it up. And I'm watching a comedy right now. There's no reason somebody's like, right, right, exactly. And they, this one, 
the reveal of it being, oh, they're rehearsing a scene is incredibly effective. Yeah. Oh, I get it. I'm on board now. Yeah. And her act, Naomi Watts' acting in this scene is so good at being a mediocre actor. Uh-huh. All of her choices are obvious the obvious broad strokes approaches and then and then she gets to the actual audition they talk about the other girls who have auditioned for this role and then making those exact same choices you just saw her make Mm -hmm. in the rehearsal scene it's very very well delivered um and so i i really enjoyed this scene because i feel like we could do an entire podcast on this scene oh totally um i liked for me, the slow seizing of the power that she did, mm-hmm. which I think was great mm-hmm. because the she walks in and she's sort of this meek little girl mm-hmm. and people treat her as such and talk over her head, talk about her like she's not there, talk about other women who have been doing mm-hmm. the same thing mm-hmm. or in the same position as mm-hmm. if they also don't matter the way she doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. You hear this, and is that actor somebody notable? He looks familiar, but I don't know him. He just looks like he was a, he like co-starred with like he co-starred with like Elvis in his movies, but really wants sure. to get into Shakespeare or whatever. Um, but like overly tanned, sort of like you know, yeah, baseball glove leather face of <laughs> uh-huh, uh-huh. never bright seen, ass white teeth. Yeah, like, never seen sunscreen. Entirely superficial. Yeah. And he keeps saying, I'm going to take this really close. I'm going to keep this really close. Like I did with that other girl. And he's talking Ugh. to the director about it. And then he kind of says And to the her, director doesn't even seem to care does. or have any idea what the fuck is And every is time happening. he talks, he talks in really vague, un- unhelpful things that yeah. like maybe if you've established a relationship with the it person, get, that means Make sure something. you're not real until it gets real. Yeah. Or whatever. Like, yeah. Wank. Um, so, and then... And so this scene is about a young woman mm-hmm. who is stuck in a house with her dad's best friend. Mm-hmm. Her parents are, she says in upstairs, but yeah. we don't know. And it's. Well, it's interesting, too, because you don't get all of that from her rehearsal before with Rita. You know what I mean? Like She does say you're my dad's best friend in the rehearsal. Sure. But, but you you don't. Get but the- until you say until they come in and they see this guy and they say this guy has been cast. This, so this guy is the guy, and not like so. Oh, this is a man who's in his sixties, mm-hmm. maybe seventies, even sure. Instead of this thirty-year-old woman who we yeah. just saw helping her run lines, right, right. Oh, okay. Not only has the I you know the script changed in that dynamic mm-hmm. like this every, is not the same scene. Uh, this is a different scene mm-hmm. now, and so she goes. Yeah, it's continue. You were you were discussing. Uh, no, I was just walking through the okay. scene and um, and so she and so they're there with. There's a director, there's a yeah. producer, there's these two women who seem to represent her, but don't necessarily. There's, so there's, it's a casting agent and her assistant. The thing that. Oh, and she's not casting the show, but she's. A friend a, of the crew. And she's a person you want to get in front of. But the thing that stands out to me about them is that that woman looks like 
if you were to do a vague description of somebody, Aunt Ruth, mm-hmm. and the woman next to her in all black and glasses and dark hair, mm. looks like Adam Kesher. Oh, interesting. I don't know what that means, but I feel like the two of them look like representations of other prominent characters. Mm. I don't know if and what that means, but I think that's worth noting. Yeah, I mean, I, I th- and we're going to talk about it again when they get to the the um, the Club Silencio. Um, and we've always said he's, uh, Lynch is into doppelgangers. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, so, mm-hmm. yeah, even if it doesn't mean anything, it's just... Yeah, everything repeating is Repeating patterns. Everything has, yeah. Um, yeah. And so they and so it's all these people and they give her low key directions. Don't and, don't rush the line. Don't rush this he, one line. He tells the guy, "Don't rush this line," and he says, "Hey, um, hey, reacting, she's reacting, baby, yeah, <laughs> all super fucking skeevy." Yeah, and then turns to her and like puts the emphasis on her. You don't, you don't rush because yeah. they always rush the line before it, yeah. and I'm just taking what they're giving me. Yeah. You don't rush that line. I won't rush my line. Yeah. So my performance is in your hands. Yeah. Which is... Fucked up. Cool, dude. Yeah. Why don't you, a clearly seasoned actor who's already been cast... Yeah. Maybe hold your own a little bit. This whole scene feels to me like David Lynch saying, this is why I don't audition Mm. people. This is what auditions are, and they're fucking disgusting. Yeah. Um, and so they start doing this scene and she does a 180 from how she was reading the lines mm-hmm. with with Rita or whomever it's, and yeah. does this like seductive Slow, erotic yeah it is hot like so and they and I don't know if you can fake chemistry but either Naomi Rods is incredible or they have like crazy good chemistry <laughs> that's a good moment to point out so I think it's a big deal that he cast Naomi Watts. Because who the fuck is Naomi Watts? Except for when you talk about what I mentioned earlier about how do you make it in Hollywood? You're sleeping with a prominent figure. Mm -hmm. You're muscled in by executives. Mm -hmm. Or you're an incredibly talented person. Mm -hmm. David Lynch found an incredibly talented person. Mm Mm-hmm. And gave her an opportunity to shine. And I think this is the moment where you realize that, like, oh, she's a fucking actor. Yeah. And she can do it. Mm -hmm. And, like, she takes the bullshit that... Because that's the thing, is that he gives... The scene kicks off, and he gives her bullshit. He being... The actor. the the, Her co-star guy. He gives her bullshit to work with. Mm Mm-hmm. If we obviously we don't know where this scene fits in the grand scheme of the entire piece or whatever that yeah. they're fucking doing or whatever, but he gives her bullshit, which is I'm gonna be super rapey mm-hmm. and I'm gonna get all up fucking on you because mm-hmm. you're a fucking I'm, hot young thing. I'm gonna crowd your space. Yeah, oh yeah, and he even's just like, oh. I wanna- I want to make it a choice. This is my choice for this. Fuck you. It's not a choice. You're trying to. You saw a fucking hot young woman come in and you want to get all up on her. Yeah. And he does that. And then. And then she just fucking outperforms him. Yeah. And he falls into like, I don't know what to 
do. Yeah. And and, and the and you can there's a a visual moment of that fulcrum mm. of when it shifts over where he is rubbing up on her and she and then he's his... almost gonna put his hand on it and starts to pull it away. She grabs as it as if to be and, respectful. Of, yeah. I'm not gonna grab and your then ass. realizes like maybe I'm going too far with this yeah. shit. And she says, "Fucking if you're gonna do it this way, yeah. we're gonna fucking do it this yeah. way." And oh, it's incredible. See, my, the part I liked even better than that was at one point he's like reaching out for her as if to just like grab her behind her head, and she doesn't just swat it away. She grabs his hand uh-huh. and moves it down <sighs> in a way that was so like had such mm-hmm. ownership mm-hmm. over this character yeah. and this actor. Oh, it was great. She it was just, so- just like, it's so hard. Like acting is such a fucking hard thing to pinpoint what's good and what's bad mm-hmm. and whatever. <laughs> but to watch the two of them go up against each other, like, Oh, she f- like, it's not a rap battle. Right. Like, right. How right, do you right. determine this shit? But like, she Dominated him. Mm-hmm. She just absolutely like you're gonna come at me with that shit. Yeah. Let me fucking destroy you with that shit. Like she just, it's so 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 good. And I think there's also, I mean, depending on how far you want to dig into it, this way that this character that she's playing is using her sexuality as a weapon. Yeah. Of like physical, like there's that one part she puts her arms around his head and is miming mm-hmm. holding a thing. Mm-hmm. And like it is, not, obviously the character doesn't notice, but this guy has this guy has no fucking idea mm-hmm. what's going on around him. <laughs> like he is in he is enveloped Even, in her in her relationship, which is perfect because she her character is performing. Yeah. She is doing the seductive thing so she can get close and literally stab him in the back. Yeah, and he, the actor, and he, the character, fall for it hook, line, and sinker. As do every person I, in this room. So they talk of like they've already established that he rushes at least this one particular line. Mm-hmm. And at that moment when she's got the fake knife or whatever behind his head and she says, well, then I'm going to kill you. Oh, my God. And, and like the kisses, sexiest thing I've ever he heard of my entire her, life. Like, three more times. She kisses him back. And then it's like it clicks beat, in. beat, beat. Wait a second. Yeah. Did you just say you're going to fucking kill me? Mm-hmm. Like it takes and it feels to me like one of those things where it's not he's no longer in character. It's not the character took a while to to get that. It's the he actor feel, who realizes like what the f- what? And he lost where he was mm-hmm. in this in this great way and he said whoa well then they put you in jail and he kind of rushes that line oh yeah he rushes the line well then they put you in jail and she's i don't fucking care i hate you Mm -hmm. i hate us both yeah god that that i hate you i hate us both and then then the the guy who i assume is the producer yeah i think so claps and then let's go on to this other set and she's fine just Clicks just it on, clicks it off. Boom. Mm-hmm. Off, over. I wasn't lost in it. Mm-hmm. I'm just that fucking good of yeah. an actor. I can, whatever you want me to do, I'm going to do it. And then I'll break out of it. because. Yeah. And then I'm going to go eat lunch yeah. and not like need. Move on. Which is. It's so fucking good. Yeah. Yeah. Which and is it's, good. That's, I got to imagine. I, I'm not a professional actor, obviously. I know a lot of people don't know that. But 
for the record, I'm not a professional actor. Yep. Um, Still funny. But I think that's got to be one of the hardest things in the world is to act like a bad actor or act like a good actor. Yeah. Like anytime when you like things that come to mind are a in the rehearsal scene for this where she had to act like she was acting like a bad actor mm-hmm. and something like the show Barry. Yeah. I know you're going to bring up Barry. Like it's a, it's a great show, but there's moments where, um, Goldstein, Sarah Goldstein, I think her name is the, the main girl from that. Mm-hmm. There's moments where she has to like deliver a powerhouse performance. And I think she does, but like, how do you know? Sarah Goldberg. Goldberg. Is that what you said? Okay. Um, like, like it's such a hard thing to like pinpoint. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? Like, how do you know that it's a great? Except for that, everyone oh immediately yeah. reacts. You need that reassurance, right? And it's it's a, such an interesting. But in this scene, if it weren't for that guy clapping, I would know that she just fucking acting yeah. steamrolled him. Yeah, and it's incredible. Uh, and so what I really enjoyed and I think is another um, example of sort of Lynch hating the Hollywood system is that she walks out, Betty or whomever walks out after just like nailing this audition and is clearly on a high, clearly knows that she like did the thing. And immediately the woman who she's with, this casting agent, was like, oh, that's too bad or whatever. Just <laughs> yeah. like immediately. Did, and everything is negative. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And and that was like, you can just see her immediately like, oh, oh, I thought I just did. And, and she even says, no, no, you did a great job. Like you <laughs> fucking own bones. But that movie's not getting made and whatever. And sure. that is another like good example of. Hollywood is not, and, and any person who works in the system has been on like any podcast I've listened to. Of like, yeah, I had this pilot and I sold it, and we, you know, did X, Y, and Z, and now it's on a shelf somewhere. I don't know what's going to happen to it, and I don't own it anymore, so it's just gone. Yeah, like that's mm-hmm. just how mm-hmm. it works sometimes. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's like some of like, I think Seven is one of the best scripts ever written, uh, and it sat on a shelf for like twelve years. Because no one wanted to tackle it. Right. Like, it's just things like that that, like, how how does someone not see that? Right. <laughs> like, how, you know, how do you not see the genius of it? Yeah, exactly. Like, And I think Seven is great. How I, I – there's neither here nor there. I think Seven in the wrong hands of a director sure. and in the wrong acting hands sure. could have been a stupid nothing Absolutely. movie. Absolutely. And anything. And then vice versa. Right. Like, sure, of course. Yeah. Like, it's <laughs> it's just so, like, it's just, it's, it's mind-blowing that there are no artistic types making the decisions. And, and it's that's it's not the about key. art. It's about making money. Right. But art is the things that make it good. You know what I mean? It's the artists who make it's the the actors, it's the screenwriters, it's the directors, it's the cinematographer, it's the people who, you know, Angelo Bellamenti. Like it's mm-hmm. those people who create this world and make it come to life. And those are all the art types and it's the studio fucking people and that's why Everything is Marvel because I can count on that. I know that's going to make me money, and it's um, and it's all I... about making money, and that's the the hard part about all of it. Just to sort of 
maybe counterbalance that? Nope. Oh, <laughs> okay. Kidding. So moving on. Um, we've been listening to the podcast Blank Check a lot lately. And like, and I'm not saying that the studios are the good guys. I want to be very clear about that. Like, the capitalist pigs are not the ones who I want controlling my art. <laughs> However, George Lucas and Night Shyamalan, um, uh, what's his face? What's his name? The uh, other director that we um, say anything. We, we talked. We did say one with anything. Camera Crow. Camera Crow. Yeah. You know, so your George Lucas, your M Night Shyamalan, your Cameron Crows, like they all were the artists and they had their vision, and not without exception among all directors, but like frequently the more power a director gets and the fewer checks they have, oftentimes they make You're not, trash checks, movies. Checks like checks from the studio or oh. your uh, special effects guy who says, oh, we can't do this thing. Like if he, if somebody's given all of the money in the world and free reign, that doesn't necessarily mean they're going to make the best art. So there has to be some factor between I, art and commerce. What's, what, what I'll counter that with that. I wouldn't, I would think that as those people start getting more and more money, they these artistic, them they lose control because mm-hmm. now they're getting bigger and bigger budgets and now producers and executives are getting more and more involved because they're worried about their investment. You know what I mean? Sure. Um, but regardless, like, you know, a few of those guys got final cut. Like it's, I'd be very, very really? surprised if any of them ever got oh. final cut. Okay. I, that's the thing. Like final cut is a, very very rare thing hmm. and it's not done within the Hollywood system okay alright uh, so this casting agent her assistant they bring Betty to the soundstage um, while where there is this film called the Sylvia North story it's directed by Adam played by um, Justin Thoreau, Justin Thoreau. Mm-hmm. I had Adam Brody in my head because I was looking <laughs> at his name that would have been a, a different movie I'd be a nerd though Adam Brody is yeah. pretty charming. Yeah. Um, so they're casting this movie in. They're both they're both in some movies together. The, what? I feel like a few David. Like I know they're both in the ten. Oh. I think I think they're both in the Baxter. Adam Brody might not be. I anyway, I yeah. Adam Brody's in the ten. He seems like he'd be real young for that. He was the guy who falls out of the plane and gets stuck in the ground. Really? Yeah. Huh. What year is the 10? The 10 is a very, very underrated David Wayne movie. I want to watch it again because I did not like it the first time I saw it. I fucking love it. It's it's 10 vignettes based on the 10 commandments directed by David Wayne. And it's mostly like the crew from the state, on American Summer, Reno 911, all of those people um and it's ridiculous and it's absurd um but yeah they're both they're both definitely in the 10 um and yeah anyway yeah anyway um uh, recommend it if you can get your hands on it i think the 10 is an underrated yeah i'd like to rewatch that soon okay so um So this story, this this movie's being cast. These poor women are in 
full makeup and they each sing different songs to audition with. And with it's like a, backup singers. So and weird. Like, yeah. And it's such a, biz- it's like them lip syncing. Yeah. And it's yep. such a bizarre like, audition. The only thing that I can, uh, and I, you mentioned that too while we were watching it. And the only thing I can say to potentially justify all of it is that they're not casting a movie. They're recasting a movie. Mm-hmm. And so all of these people are already there to like build the environment. And so they just want to plug this person in with the other people to yeah. see if she works, you know? And but it's, I think you're doing a lot of legwork uh, on his maybe, behalf. Maybe, but it's also very weird. It's yeah. very strange. Um, okay. Uh, and so, all of a sudden, Camilla Rhodes, who is this person we keep hearing about, ha- who she needs to be cast on mm-hmm. behalf of the this gangsters. This is the same woman in the headshots. Yes. Blonde. Mm-hmm. Looks like a young Charlize Theron. Yes, totally. Um, and she comes in, and you you can see Adam Kesher's gut just like drop. When mm-hmm. he's like, who's next? And he like is starting to light a cigarette, and he's like, fuck. Because yeah. he... That's what's interesting, too, is that, like, he... It seems like out the gate, like, they say, this is the girl, we want her. And out the gate, he never even says, like, well, I'll give her a try. It's, I don't want her. And and there's an, there's an interesting, like, combativeness between the studio and him that, like, just because the studio said they want it, he immediately said, well, fuck her. I don't doesn't even want to give her a chance. Yeah. You know what I mean? But like, to be fair, it's not the studio. It's these random financiers who sure. are coming in. That is not... Sure. Uh, you, 12,000% would do the same thing. Like, you don't get to walk onto my movie. Yeah, you're giving us 10 grand or whatever. You do not get to... Ca- or I'm sure it's more Millions, than that. Millions, but, but yeah. But you don't get to do that. You do not get to name your... Maybe I can give your niece a little role, like a little two-line well, yeah, role. This is- you don't get to cast my lead. Yeah. Yeah. And it's... And she's fine. Like, you can that's tell the that the is, girl... I'm not be- sure what I'm supposed that's to be the, looking for. I think that's the difference, is you see the girl before her who is charming and charismatic. Yeah. Even while lip syncing. Yeah. And then you have the exchange that, like, oh, this is a fun person. This is yeah. a person... You have rapport with, you could work with, and could be good in this movie. Mm-hmm. This other girl is beautiful but also, and blank. But also, she doesn't have any, for whatever reason, they don't put the backup dancers right. with her for whatever. And so, when I'm watching these, I'm, and I, yeah, I was like, yeah, she's the first girl is a little more fun or whatever. But like, what am I looking for? Is she a good lip syncer? I guess. Like, I, it's, it's just such it's a, a look. bizarre. You're looking for a look. Yeah. And the problem is she just is – she's beautiful. Mm-hmm. She's boring. Yeah. And 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 he, through fucking clenched teeth, says this, this is the is girl the one, yeah. because that's what he's supposed to do. Mm-hmm. And it's just a, an interesting – I don't know. Yeah. His uh, whole scene is just a weird, weird dynamic. It's very strange. And then we have that, that – And meanwhile, go- the, the girl – who can we all know can do it mm-hmm. and should do it and has just proven her fucking acting chops for a bullshit movie that won't get made. Right. Is right behind him and he's intrigued by her. She walks in and he keeps looking back at her like, 
who the fuck is that? Mm -hmm. That's the girl. Mm -hmm. That's who I want because I just know. Mm -hmm. And she doesn't even get a chance to audition. Right. Was that the intention to bring her there to audition or was the casting director just walking her around? Because I didn't get that at all. I she mentioned the casting director lady mentioned something about like oh you need to meet this guy he's mm. kind of the next big thing and whatever and maybe you'll be somewhere or something yeah. like it's just everything is networking gotcha well, um, and, and, and not only does she not get a chance to audition sure. she leaves yeah she says yeah. I have to go I promised a friend right. thing but of all the people we've seen she should be the one doing it right mm. like I feel like that's what we're supposed to glean from this scene is that she's the best actor in this bunch. Sure. I, I don't know. I I guess I, I think I see it more from like from the not just that she's the best actor in the bunch but she could be if only she was given the opportunity and even sure. though she just yeah. nailed this and impressed a room full of people for a movie that's never going to get made she still is not necessarily going to get whatever she quote unquote Mm -hmm. should have which yeah anyway uh so betty and rita they um they find out they find uh diane selwyn's apartment um but a neighbor answers the door and says that she switched apartments with diane which is strange very strange um so they go to the neighbor's apartment um and nobody answers. The door's locked. Betty goes around the side, jumps in a window. Um, and I loved this shot of when she's like, help me in. And so it's one long shot that Rita helps Betty in and then in real time walks back around to the front door where Betty meets her to unlock mm-hmm. the front door. Mm-hmm. And she just opens the door slowly and has her like hand over her nose. Something but it smells. Yeah. But it was just so like... So different from like, oh, I'm gonna sneak in and like, oh, we're on an adventure to like, yeah. shit is fucked up in here. This isn't yeah. fun anymore. Because um, the woman who answered twelve got distracted by it. Otherwise, she would have been with them. Mm. Got distracted. Oh, so phone's ringing. I'll I'll meet you guys there. Right. Also, it's worth noting, like, a. I mean, first of all, the question: Who is this woman? Um, why did she woman? yeah why did she switch apartments with somebody so strange she doesn't recognize Naomi Watts or Laura Herring right so neither of them have been around uh-huh. you know what I mean um so who who cause obviously these two women Laura Naomi uh huh are connected to Diane Selwyn, who lives in one of these two apartments. Mm-hmm. But neither of them are recognized by this other person who's close enough to be switching apartments. Right, right. And we find out later that this woman was dating Naomi Watts. Mm-hmm. So, like, what the fuck is this scene? Yeah. So what's going on? What here? is this interaction? Right. Right? Right. Um... So they find the body of a woman who's been dead for for several days. Um, I'd be curious who played that woman. Because you you never get a good, clear shot of her face. Mm -hmm. When they do have, they, you know, they have a medium chest up. 
shot mm. and it's hair covering her face and she's decomposing and shit already. I who is that? Who who's playing that person? I bet they just cast somebody who looks sort of like Rita. Oh, you think it's supposed to be Rita? Oh, that's what I because I mean, she had dark hair, didn't she? She's in the exact same position in in the same apartment. That's that's I think Diane, Diane the Naomi Watts character oh, after yes, she I'm commits s- suicide. Oh, yes, yes, yes. That, of course. Yes, 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 but yes, yes. But I forgot that Diane has dark hair. Yes. But when but when Diane commits suicide, when we see it anyway, she's got that short kind of borderline spiky cut. Mm. And this woman had hair down to her shoulders. Right, right. So, again, what the fuck? Right. You know? Um. So they flee the... Um, uh, that apartment and they go back to Betty's place um, where Rita sort of has a panic attack and she um, she starts cutting her hair in the sink and then um, Betty says I know what you need to do I will help you and then fits her with a blonde wig which I was so did Rita see that dead woman as like a threat to her like what made her all of a sudden say I need to change did I miss something there? Because it seemed to me they found a dead woman, I, got scared, ran home, and Rita was like, I need to change my hair completely. From a Rita perspective, my, my, look. my thought is she saw the people sitting in the car outside. She saw the other guy who scared her out front, mm-hmm. who she thought were people. She doesn't know who she is, so she and, and thinks people are out to get her. If I change my appearance, cut my hair, color my hair, do whatever, that might help me avoid people who might be looking for me, whoever they are and whyever they are. I, and I think that's where Naomi Watts steps in and says, like, I understand what you're doing. Mm -hmm. You need to try to stay hidden. Mm -hmm. Let's make you a blonde. Sure. But only just ends up making her more like herself, mm-hmm. which is weird. Kind of who the fuck she is. Yeah. Like it's everyone is like it. It almost feels like everyone is Diane Selwyn. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like this is all a fucking weird ass dream. Yeah, and she's just putting herself in all the different people she's ever seen. Mm, yeah, that's interesting. Um. So. Um, she so Betty and Rita share the bed that night. They have sex. This this is almost exactly where this becomes not the pilot, <laughs> and it becomes a movie, and becomes R rated. Yes, <laughs> like it's almost because I noticed the first half nobody really swears. There's, no, there's almost no there's no language. There's uh-huh. no nudity. There's no nudity. There's no gratuitous violence. Yeah. There's no yeah anything it's let's keep this under the radar so we can get on whatever station we're trying to get on and if we get hbo or showtime or something like that maybe we can expand it later episodes but the pilot is safe right and then it's like well if we're gonna make a fucking movie right let's have these two go at it for a while and have full nudity Mm -hmm. and it's i saw an interview with um Lynch and Naomi Watts talking about this movie and this is a few years old now so it was right around like the 15th or whatever anniversary and 
Naomi Watts tells a couple of stories, one of them being about this scene and being apprehensive and nervous. And it was, this is at the point where like we had already been rejected as a pilot. Mm. So we're going back to, to try to turn this into a movie and she's getting back into the character and I'm anxious and I'm nervous. And this is a tough, whatever this, all of this is being weird. And she's like, and so I, you know, and I just went back and I watched it 15 years after the fact and this scene's fucking hot. <laughs> like, like she, like totally, just like I was. I did. It's good though. Yeah. Like this scene is hot. Like, yeah, I like it a lot. Like having been removed from the anxiety and the mm. nervousness of it, and 15 years later, this scene's hot. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah, I thought it was well done. It wasn't um, as performative as it could have been. Um, otherwise, I, I, I liked I thought it was the only, the only thing that's interesting is that seemingly between the relationship of these two people, it's been a couple of days mm-hmm. and it's the passion of a thousand sons. Mm-hmm. It's it's a beautiful lo- like had this been two people who were madly in love with each other. Right. This fits and this is hot. and yeah. This is incredible. This is fast. Mm. You know what I mean? For for the intensity of this passion, we're talking about two people who seemingly, are, in the reality of this film at mm-hmm. least, have known each other for two days. Yeah. Um, yes, but I think also Naomi Watts is playing a little younger, and I think that is like when you're in your early 20s and you've had this like fun, weird adventure with this mm-hmm. person, it's really easy to especially when you haven't like presumably she does not talk about any past relationships or we don't know anything about her we know she's from somewhere in Ontario they even mentioned that in that scene of saying like have you ever done this before I don't know have you I want to with you yeah that's the exchange or whatever which is a really interesting exchange I like what did that have to do with you were saying talking about past relationships and stuff have you ever done this before Oh, I see. Yeah. Did you think she was meaning with a woman or just... Yeah, specifically okay. that. Yeah. Um, but it's it's just... It's... This scene... The, this scene is almost elevated to a... It's not a sexual... It doesn't feel sexual to me. It feels passionate to me. Sure. Which I don't feel, think they're there is yet. Is gratuitous a better word? No. Because gratuitous to me seems more sexual than passionate. No, no, I'm saying instead of when you said it's not sexual, it's passionate. Would you say it's not gratuitous? It's because it's sexual. It right. It's it's not. It's certainly sexual. it's not gratuitous, but it's. I don't. Passionate. It's, it's it's incredibly passionate, but I think they. I to me, it feels like. Two days isn't enough time to get that passionate. Mm. That that like like I no, d- I like okay passionate. It's not the right word. It's they're talking about full on. I'm fucking in love with you, and not I'm super turned on. But you've seen before sunrise and things like that. Like this yeah, they don't is even a, have sex. Well, I'm not talking about sex. Well, when you were saying. How did they get into a place where they're already saying "I love you"? Like, wasn't that a whole thing in 
in Waiting for Sunrise of like, we're not going to have sex. We're not going to like say anything. Like, we're not going to say I love you. But the idea is that they, you watch a young, good looking couple kind of fall in love over I mean, the I, course of a yeah, few hours. I feel like that movie is more about two people struggling with what could have been. I don't know. I, and I, maybe I'm wrong. I just, that, it, that, that whole thing feels fast to me. I, I'm not saying it's not fast. I'm just saying that it is a, a thing that happens in real life that people do that all the time of like, we just had a really crazy 24 hours together and I feel bu- like God fucking the movie's speed. And then speed two was all about that. Like they formed a relationship during this crisis and it can't last, but they felt those feelings anyway. Yeah. yeah. Um, and yeah, especially I think younger people tend to be a little more fast. But, and loose, but that's, but that's but the I, difference is I feel like I, I think that this, this sex scene would have been, should have been based on the movie that we saw for the first hour and whatever, 10, 15, 20, 30 minutes, whatever it's been at this point, I think the scene should have been more sexually driven would have made more sense in this film. I, I didn't think they were as, because I didn't feel like there were moments of love up until that point. Do you know what I mean? I think there were, Adventures that they went on, which may have gotten them kind of hot and bothered and turned on in some way, sure. But I don't think, I don't think there was a love relationship building. I I disagree. You think? Fully. Okay. Okay. I great. Think the, the I'm ha- happy to be wrong because I think this is one of the best sex scenes ever directed. But to me, it felt like we have an R rating now. Let's go in. Hot and heavy, you know. Um, yeah, no, I, I, I don't. I don't know. I, I just don't think. I, I think they demonstrated their. And listen, we say she says she's in love. Like nobody knows what that exactly means. But like, I do a hundred percent believe that this woman has extraordinarily strong affections for the other person, and we saw that when. Uh, Rita was having a panic attack and trying to cut all of her hair off in hmm. the sink and she said no and she didn't say you're being crazy or whatever she said yeah. no you need to do this and I'm going to help you do it yeah. like and I think it's and, and which is why I'm really impressed with the way David Lynch wrote these characters because it wasn't yeah. Hollywood nobody saved a fucking cat or whatever <laughs> or like you know saved somebody like there was sure. an, a, meet, yeah. a meet cute of oh my god you saved me from a truck and now it is these two women, one of whom is going through trauma. Yeah. Um, the other woman is trying to help her so much, and they have gotten very close very quickly. Yeah. Also, yeah. Rita is somewhat of a blank slate, and so I think it tracks that this Betty character, and, who is pretty naive. And Betty is overly zealous. Yeah, yeah. who's yeah. N- yeah. naive. All right. All right. I yeah. think she 100% believes she loves I'm her. Like, yeah. Like, I, I don't know. I, I'm... I feel like a million times you've seen me meet somebody in like a bar and be like, guess what? We're best friends right fucking now. Sure. Like, I think it may be maybe more of a feminine thing of yeah. like, I have, I'm not, tr- you're not, you don't have to prove anything to me. Mm-hmm. If you are loving and affectionate to me and we're supporting each other emotionally, mm-hmm. that's what love is to me. It's not yeah. any of these yeah. other things. Yes. Yeah. There's, 
there's two moments in this scene though that that stand out to me as being very effective one of them is a cinematic technique and one of them is an acting thing that it's she just so Naomi Watts is laying in bed watches Laura Herring undress or take off her towel or whatever and get into bed and she oh it's kind of like pseudo pseudo embarrassed or whatever yeah and then Laura Herring says thank you in a very sweet and pleasant way and leans over to kiss her on the forehead Mm -hmm. and there's a it seems like a very unprompted reaction but Naomi Watts kind of turns her head mm-hmm. up towards the lips of like you were leaning in I thought that's what we were going to do and I was very excited for it oh I thought it was I'm opening the door well it is but it's also like it felt but it didn't feel like I'm consciously opening the door it felt like you were leaning towards me I thought that's what we were doing and I got excited and I jumped through the door do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like I leaned in and it was like, oh, you're kissing me on the head. But then they both took a beat and said, okay. Mm-hmm. And I like that moment. And then at the end of the very end of the scene, they have the all borderline cliche shot of the two hands clasped. Mm-hmm. But I, but, they- but that shot doesn't break from that shot and just pans over to the two of them laying and it's, Laura Herring laying on her back, face up, and Naomi Watts laying on her side, face facing Laura, and their lips are absolutely lined up to mm-hmm. almost create one lip. Their noses are lined up to create. They're it's a really beautiful shot. Basically, creating one face as though they've just become one, mm-hmm. and it's fucking gorgeous. It's really it's beautiful. One of my favorite shots in because it starts out of like this. Here's the like it almost feels to me like here's the dumb cliche everybody does at the end of a fucking stupid sex scene. Mm-hmm. But watch this. You could do this. And it almost seems not only to elevate the characters within this scene, but also to be like, fuck you, those people who filmed like sex scenes poorly. Here's how you should be doing. Mm-hmm. This is the shot you want. Mm-hmm. It's take this. But move it over here, and this shot is the one. That's what you're tr- you're trying to say. Two people became one because their hands are clasped. No, no, no. Two people came one because their head became one fucking head. Like it almost seems like a little bit of a dig at how bad we shoot sex nowadays. I like that sh- feels. No, I feel like s- shooting sex on film is a like. In, in, but why in the would Hollywood you think system. that Dave, David Lynch, like, doing an especially beautiful film with a beautiful ending is, like, a fuck you to other filmmakers? I think David Lynch just, No, because the create... whole thing is fuck you to Hollywood. This entire movie is fuck you, Hollywood. Oh, I see. And, and it's a fuck you to the Hollywood system being like, if we show hands class, that means they're in love. Let's do it right. Let's Here's an artistic way. I don't know. That's just the vibe I get. It's just another way of... Saying fuck you to Hollywood. Mm-hmm. Uh, so at 2 a.m., Rita wakes up um, 
she wakes Betty up and says they have to. And so she's and she's talking, talking in her, her sleep, in her sleep, saying silencio and no ibanda. Yeah, and, no ibanda. Yeah. Um, and so finally they're both awake. Rita says they have to go to a theater called Club Silencio. Um, so they get there, and oh, this scene is so haunting and magic. Oh, it's, wow, um, it's amazing. So there's an MC who explains. Bef- in- before they get there, though, so you go down this dark, dirty fucking alley, POV into the door. They're walking down the steps. To their left, there's two people sitting in the end seat aisles. One of them is Phoebe Augustine, who plays mm-hmm. Ronette Pulaski. Mm-hmm. And sitting right next to her is a woman who looks exactly like Laura Palmer. Is not Cheryl Lee, from what I can tell, and what I've looked up or whatever. It's not Cheryl Lee, but looks a fucking lot like Laura Palmer. And it's a weird, interesting moment of Ronette Pulaski. And Laura Palmer sitting together at Club Silencio. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if it's, let's make an effort to put Mulholland Drive in the same world as Twin sure. Peaks. universe building. If it's a little bit of a callback to the fact that initially Mulholland Drive was going to be a Twin Peaks spinoff. Mm-hmm. There was initially the thought behind it was a story about Audrey Horn and her journey to Hollywood. Mm-hmm. And really the only thing that came over from that was the title Mulholland Drive. Hmm. And almost everything else has changed except for it being Hollywood-based. Yeah. Um, but that was kind of an idea. So I'm, I'm, I don't know if it's a callback to that, but it's, it's, it's really interesting that you could have put anybody in those two seats, mm-hmm. any extra or nobody. Right. And it would have had the same effect. But the fact that it's Phoebe Augustine... Right. Who is Ronette Pulaski and American Girl in season three. Mm-hmm. And a woman who looks strikingly similar to Laura Palmer is interesting. Worth yeah. noting. Some it's Something's up. It's not a mistake. You right. know, it's not a coincidence. It's it's certainly intentional what it means. Who knows? Mm-hmm. But it's there on purpose. Um. So the MC, uh, he explains in both English and Spanish just about how things are illusions and does a few cool bits, which I really, I loved his little performance. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. He brings out Rebecca Del Rio, who we know from season three. Also this, Richard this, Green, we met at that. He's the guy who plays the magician. He's directing a, he directed a documentary about Jack Nance. And oh, he, that's him. He's, he's directing one about the, um, uh, Catherine Coles, um, yeah, Catherine Coulson. um, called I Know the Lovely that should be coming out someday ish yeah I, it's one of those I I donated to the Kickstarter two years ago sure who knows two three years ago maybe who knows where we're at now mm-hmm. we get a, occasional updates he seems to be actively still working on it but we we spoke to he was at the Twin Peaks Fest we spoke to him a little bit about it um but he's he's incredible in this too and as is Rebecca Del Rio has... Continue with what what we're about to say, and then I have a story about Rebecca Del Rio and this. Um, uh, So he introduces Rebecca Del Rio. Um, She comes on stage, and she sings Crying by Roy Oberson, but it's translated to Spanish, Mm -hmm. which was 
And, you know, for me, like my pretty like elementary Spanish, it's fun to like listen to songs like this. And same, I'm watching um, Jane the Virgin, mm-hmm. and there's a lot of English and Spanish, mm-hmm. and it's I really enjoy hearing like I translate it in my head. But then I either see the subtitles or know the actual lyrics, and I love hearing that sure. kind of thing How of like loosely translated things. Yeah, are, exactly. Yeah. Um, but so she sings in Spanish. Um, as she's singing, she suddenly collapses, but her voice continues, yeah. which is such a yeah. And the same thing happened with the trumpet player before that like he stopped playing and yes. it, it kept going. Yes, music kept that going. introduced the concept of, yeah and he of just kept we saying everything you're seeing is an illusion mm-hmm. and it's it's a beautiful delivery of and such a meta way of saying this entire movie everything you're seeing you the viewer mm-hmm. are seeing is an illusion right and it's a it's such a great delivery of that but the, the story I heard that I found interesting was, um, you know, David Lynch is a prominent director and he gets people all the time who come in and say like, hey, and one of them was, hey, we have some assistant or somebody came up to Lynch and said, we have this musician. She wants to come sing a song for you, not even specifically for a project or whatever, but just like, I want to be on your radar because that's fucking Hollywood. And he said, mm-hmm. fine, let's bring her up brought her into like the studio that they were at and she went into this room and sang this song (laughs) and john neff who we met at twin peaks fest he was there he's his one of his like music david lynch's music guys Uh um decided to he had everything set up so he decided to press record and he recorded her singing that song and that's the song that Mm. they used for this scene they didn't that's the re- song that's the recording. That's the recording. They used that exact recording because yes. for this scene because he Lynch was inspired and it did his thing. And then obviously we brought Rebecca Rio Del ba- uh, Rebecca Del Rio back for season three. Mm-hmm. Like it's such a powerhouse voice. Yeah, such a great and, way. and like such a <laughs> There, like you know there was something about Lynch that said there was something about this moment that inspired me don't re-record it because I don't want it to you're be. gonna yeah taint something and so they just reused that recording that's and bananas yeah and obviously it's, I'm sure they added like it's very echoey and they added all those effects and stuff right. after the fact or well, whatever of course nobody- but, the, but the root recording is her very first I guess audition with David Lynch. That's wild. Yeah. Uh, and, and so that was a, a one-take recording. Insane. Um, so we see Betty and and Rita. They're crying as they're watching this. Um, as the song. Did we, I just for the record, I know we mentioned it's a cover, but did we note what it was a cover of? I think so. Crying did by you? Roy Orbison. Okay. I just realized I don't remember if you, we said specifically. I think yeah. I did. Okay. Um. So they go back to the apartment. Rita retrieves the key and finds that Betty has disappeared. Rita unlocks the box. Oh, and so Betty finds the blue box in her purse and it matches at, Rita. at Club Silencio. At Club Silencio. Yeah. So they get back. Rita gets the um, gets the key. Can't find Betty. Unlocks the box. It falls to the floor. So something happened here. This yeah. was literally things clicking into place. Um. 
So then Diane Selwyn wakes up in her bed in, in the same apartment as Betty and Rita investigated. And this is the same bed with the pink sheets, green mm-hmm. blanket. Um, she looks exactly like Betty, and this is when she has that short haircut, right? Mm-hmm. I didn't, I didn't even recognize her. There was something yeah. about this is she's the way got they the, did her makeup this point, or didn't. Do at her this makeup. point, yeah. she's got the same haircut as the that waitress. Yeah. yeah. Oh, the waitress. I, I was thinking the wig. No, that she no, gave. no. Yeah, the waitress at Winkies who gotcha. has that kind of not spiky but kind of a shaggy. Yeah, yeah. the yeah. a shaggy. Um, Bob or whatever. Um, <laughs> the the haircut that was very popular in 2001. So terrible. <laughs> um, so, read, uh, excuse me, Diane looks just like Betty, but um, she's a struggling actress driven into a deep depression by her failed affair with Camilla Rhodes, who's, who is a successful actress and looks exactly like Rita. Yeah. At Camilla's invitation, Diane attends a party at Adam's house on Mulholland Drive. Adam's. Oh, Adam Kesher. Got the it. director. Got it. Yeah, yeah. I was thinking Adams. Like I thought, I was thinking of Adams as the last name. Got it. Oh. Move on. Yeah. You're good. At dinner, Diane states that she came to Hollywood from Canada, where her aunt Ruth died and left her some money, mm-hmm. and she met Camilla at an, at an audition for the Sylvia North story. Mm-hmm. Another woman who looks like the previous Camilla Rhodes kisses Camilla, mm-hmm. and they were they turn and smile at Diane. Mm-hmm. Adam and Camilla prepare to make an important announcement, but they dissolve into laughter and kiss while Diane watches crying. Right. Later, Diane meets. <laughs> Do you, I mean? I'm was waiting for you to. Okay. I'm, I mean, where where are me. you at with this? Like, I feel like this. So so much of this movie, it feels like. Honestly, this scene, this one scene, is everything. Mm. Didn't, did you say, I don't know if it was on this, that you think this is the only thing that happened in reality? Maybe not the only, th- no, not the only thing, but this is, if you were to start telling this movie chronologically based on what actually happened and what's a dream, mm-hmm. you would start with this scene. This is, this is our, the, um, you're, you're fooled by the fact that the first thing you see is bullshit. Well, this is our Rosetta Stone, right? Like, this is where we find what characters really right. are in reality, right? right? In right. theory, right. or who fucking knows, right? And so, this is where we realize Diane Selwyn, Naomi Watts is Diane Selwyn. Yes, Laura Lena Herring is Camilla Rhodes. The one, the same Camilla Rhodes who was bullied into the actress, but was cast because of her mob ties. The same. No. No. Then now I don't understand. She is Camilla Rhodes, who was cast because she slept with the she slept her way to the top. But wait, wasn't that the wasn't Camilla Rhodes the one when Bettelmenti and what's his face came in and said you saw a picture of her, but I don't think that picture was accurate. They said, this is the girl or whatever, but I don't think that person was legit. I think that was all fantasy or dream or whatever. I think... Then how do you know she slept her way to the top? Because of the scene where Camilla or uh, Laura Herring is sitting in the car with, in in the, the theater car, the stage car or whatever... With Justin and 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 she's with the actor and the actor comes out of the car and Thoreau oh. is like oh let me show you how it's done and they start going at it and Diane is 
And she says, yes. can Diane stay here? Because yes. at this point they're dating-ish. Yeah. But basically it's showing, this This scene to me is showing that that um, Laura Herring, who is com- in reality, I think, Camila Rhodes, mm-hmm. has slept with Adam, mm-hmm. has slept with Diane, mm-hmm. has slept with this other blonde whoever she is woman who is probably fucking nobody. Yeah. Um, but all to get her to be cast in this role and make herself mm-hmm. successful. Um, and all of that is that like, that's who she is. Um, I lost where I was going with this. I asked how you knew she slept her way to the top. And but yeah, but those are, those are the three moments is that she is, you know, she's sleeping with Diane, you know, she's sleeping with Adam because they do the lights off creepo mm-hmm. weird thing. And this other woman, that kiss is not platonic. It's not a Hollywood cheat kiss. It's not necessarily like, it's just showing that she's willing to sleep with anybody Okay. To me, to me, it's it's not about that. Those two having a real, I think, I think that woman, that blonde woman who was the Camilla Rhodes headshot, is just kind of a symbol of generic Hollywood, mm. and she's willing to sleep with anybody if it means she'll move ahead. Sure. Um, so I don't think it's an it's it's as much that she's sleeping with her specifically and mm-hmm. pretending to be. The difference is. Diane fell in love with Camila mm. and left her partner. Like Diane, I think Diane was dating roommate lady from from cabin twelve or uh-huh. seventeen or whatever the one she actually lived in. Who knows? She was dating her that woman who I, we don't even get her name. I don't think no. That woman left Diane. Because she was cheat, because Diane was cheating on her, and Diane was cheating on her with Camilla. Okay. Because she was in love with Camilla, but Camilla was not in love with her, mm-hmm. and Camilla was just doing what she needed to do to climb the ranks. Mm-hmm. And I think that destroyed who Diane was. Gotcha. Okay, that makes sense. And then. Everybody else at this dinner party just got plugged in into her dream states. Mm. It's Coco, who mm-hmm. is Justin Thoreau's mom. Mm-hmm. It was the cowboy walked across a fucking sure. background. And it's like, that's a memorable figure. I'm going to yeah. plug him into my dreams fucking later. Sure. Um, all of these people plugged into being prominent people when they really actually weren't. Sure. She was in love with this one person, Laura Lena Herring, as Camila Rhodes. Mm-hmm. And that and that person did not return that love and it fucking broke her. Hmm. Cool. Not cool, but interesting. I mean. So later Diane meets the the hitman um, at Winkies and she seems to hire him to kill Camilla. Mm-hmm. He tells her. He tells. And that's her where you she, see the Camilla Rhodes headshot with Laura's face on it. Sure. So that's a the moment where 
those two are legitimately connected mm-hmm. instead of just like oh i think this person represents sure they are connected by name and face yeah yeah he tells her she'll find a blue key when the job is completed the figure from the man's dream is revealed to have the matching blue box in her apartment diane looks at the blue key on her coffee table distraught she is terrorized by hallucinations and runs screaming to her bed where she shoots herself and a woman in the theater whispers silencio so a lot of those scenes chop up you know there's the scene where she climbs over the couch to get on top of camilla or laura hair or whatever you want to call her at that point but most of that most of those cuts are done in such a way where they almost always show the coffee table which is a is which is a timeline marker is the blue key there oh then it's after this is the ashtray there then it's after this gotcha is the brown coffee mug there then it's before this sure and if you put those pieces together that's what leads me to she's dating the neighbor woman cheats on the neighbor woman with camilla Mm -hmm. she being diane diane is dating the neighbor woman cheats on the neighbor woman with camilla Mm -hmm. camilla or the neighbor woman finds out gets pissed they were neighbors they moved in with each other Mm -hmm. right Mm -hmm. so from i don't necessarily know which way either 12 to 17 or 17 to 12 But but the neighbor woman moved in with her and then fuck you you cheated on me i'm moving back to my old apartment mm-hmm. so now that's why they're in this weird limbo half living in both places state. sure um the blue key symbolizes that she's already called out the like she's already been fucked over by camilla so she's already called out the hit uh-huh but at one point you see the key is there but the ashtray is gone and that's when the masturbation scene happens. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Where she's just... Crying and masturbating. That, it's so hard to watch. Um, that's another scene they talk about in that like interview thing that I was watching with Naomi Watts and David Lynch, where she talks about that scene. Is she's, she's like, I had to go to the bathroom several times because my stomach was really, really, really bad. Because she was sick or nervous? And or she's did like, she say? I think it was in hindsight because I was so fucking anxious about this scene and what it was going to be and the the one moment that I liked in that is she's like I was so I didn't know I was angry I was scared I was nervous I was I didn't I all I I didn't know what to do I didn't know what I, and I'm doing all this and I felt like I kept stopping and I remember I called out to David at one point and was like I don't know what to do and he's and he's just like uh-huh I understand and just kept listening, but just kept recording. And like she's like, I just noticed that he never called stop. He never called cut. And so I kept going. And I was mad at him. And that's where we get the scene. He's like, and I know he probably did the cutaway, came up with the brilliant idea of showing the fireplace in focus and out of focus and in focus and out of focus. He's like, that was going to be in there anyway. Like all this. And he's like, basically, he was just like, letting her experience fucking every emotion he's like that's exactly what i want hmm. because that's that's the one of the only true moments in this movie i think 
is a person that that should be the the climax of it that is the climax of this movie Mm -hmm. of this literally and figuratively of this story of this story I should say Mm -hmm. it's a person who's been broken and beaten and destroyed some good things have happened and there's uh, but it's just so it's a fucking sad ending mm-hmm. but it's where we're fucking at yeah you know what i mean yeah and i feel like that's kind of and not all stories are happy endings sure exactly oh, most uh, most of david lynch's are not um and i think the the two uh, old people many old people coming out are just symbols of her failure that was maybe my least favorite part it felt so jarring and hokey and stupid and like it just to me mean? it looked like cut out magazine figures like meow, 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 like yeah it just I, I don't know I, I did not like it at all did but, you did it haven't did it mean anything to you or I mean it, it was a full circle moment from the beginning and that weird scene where there she was like La- no I didn't understand okay. it so maybe that's why I, I didn't like it but like regardless it, it looked stupid to it me. felt it felt to me like <laughs> like so i think i think the things to come from that are a the person i'll call that them a person behind the the winkies dumpster because uh-huh. who knows if they're a man or a woman i don't know that it matters yeah. is the darkness within herself is just representation of that uh-huh. because that person is the person who delivers the blue box okay and then out of that blue box becomes the two old people. And I think those people were just are representative of the bullshit of people pushing her to, you should do this. You're the best. This bullshit, like, you're better than everyone. You're going to make it. No one else will. And and I think it was representative. When it gets to the end, it's representative of her own guilt. Oh. Of maybe I shouldn't have listened to these people, mm-hmm. and this isn't good for me. This isn't right, mm-hmm. and that's when she decides to kill herself. Mm. And the things I question, that my the thing I go back and forth on that I've kind of come up with is sometimes I think she dreams all this stuff. Most of the movie is a dream of hers, and then when the girl, when the neighbor girl knocks on her door and she wakes up. Mm. that's the wake up from the dream which is most of the movie we saw Uh uh-huh that's sometimes what i think sometimes what i think is she shoots herself then we get that that second shot of the movie which is the camera falling into the pillow Uh uh-huh before the credits oh and that's i think that's her dying and i think a lot of the movie is the moments before her death, looking back on her life of how she got here. Are you positing a Jacob's Ladder situation? No. Oh, I was just doing a goof about how did this get made when every time it's, is this this person's last no, dying I, thoughts? Is it a no, Jacob's the, Ladder the situation? The difference is Jacob's though, Ladder, they are actually dead. I think this is the moments of she's still alive and looking back on her life, but like she's dying. I, I I think this is the the brief moments. It's the flooding moments of fleeting images mm-hmm. of looking back in your life while you're dying. Sure. 
Um, and I think it ends with her offing herself. Yeah. It, it, it either ends with her masturbating or it ends with her offing herself. Two things can be true. There's one way for me to go out. Either way, you're either going to off yourself or you're going to get off yourself. It's one or the other. Um, but yeah, I don't, I, this, I love this movie. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Something else, the one other note that I, that I have is noting is the answering machine message that of like, oh, I'm not here right now or whatever. Leave a message. The answering machine thing oh, is, so that's, that's not your voice is the same when they when they call together where they're like sharing the phone and the, the ear mm-hmm. it's the same message that is clearly Diane's phone mm. and like when at the at the end you hear that phone ring so so after the end of the masturbation scene is mm-hmm. the phone rings and she looks to her left and you, then you see a phone the one with the red lamp yeah and she walks into that room after the answering machine message says like I'm not here or whatever it is that message that that voice that outgoing message is the same message that they get when they call together at the beginning of the movie oh sure suggesting there's a real Diane Selwyn Mm -hmm. and because we see her reacting to that phone the real Diane Selwyn is Naomi Watts with this kind of spikyish hair uh-huh. because you also when they go back to the the Winkies diner the same waitress is there with the same Naomi Watts hair spiky haircut but this time her name is Betty right and so it just seems like the same way Patrick Fischler and the woman behind the diner flip genders or whatever mm-hmm. they just they, they flip names yeah like those feel like things you tell me because you remember dreams better than I do. I'm not. I very, very, very rarely. Honestly, I, that might be one of the reasons I'm so into Lynch is because I don't dream. Mm-hmm. I mean, I probably do, but I don't remember them in any way. Mm-hmm. Um, so to me, this is the closest thing I get to like dream life, which I think is fascinating, but I don't remember them. Um, but I feel like that's a thing that happens in dreams right is you just kind of transpose things Mm -hmm. and and stuff like that all the time like i'm fascinated by those ideas i just don't remember them did you ask me a question that's what i'm like you tell i I, I, (laughs) care to elaborate on that i I, are you asking me is that what dreams are like yeah i guess i mean that's what i mean like how much of this is yeah, and I've accurate I've, to the dream life. Like, how much of it? Like, is it telling the story? Like, I just i i i find David Lynch to be a vehicle to fulfill the fact that I'm missing dreams. Mm-hmm. But most people, I feel like, who really like David Lynch, like it because it's like reflective of their own dreams. And I'm curious, as someone who does dream and remembers them fairly regularly, mm-hmm. is what's your take on that? I mean, I said for the last year that that's why I like David Lynch is that that's how my dreams manifest so yes 100% it's this person looks like this but I know they are that or Mm -hmm. this looks like my childhood home but I know it's where I live now or whatever it's it is too it's 
perception and reality, which are, it's all internal mm-hmm. anyway, but it's, you know, it could look like my high school math teacher, but I understand that it's actually your mom. Like it's, sure. so <laughs> yeah, except for like, yes. I just feel like this movie does that better than a lot of his other work thus far, at least. No. Um, this did not have, like, there were definitely some dreamlike things, but it did not have the sort of dream quality that I usually, and and to be clear, I enjoyed this movie, um, but it does, it didn't make me feel like, holy shit, this is how my dreams feel to me. Hmm. Like, I think uh, season three did that probably better, and I can't think of an, Interesting. In, in a, okay. a, an example off the top of my head, but this did not feel like a dream this felt Hmm. i wonder if it's just because of duration at that point like i wonder if had this movie been or had this been picked up as a pilot and became 18 hours of television would it have had the same effect as twin p season three or no you don't know i mean there's no way for me I, to answer that. I, well, I Would just, this hypothetical thing that David well, Lynch you know might I mean. have made? Like, like, is, like, is that what helped make season three be more like dreamlike mm-hmm. to you because it was it was prolonged? Or if this if watching Mulholland Drive prolonged might have had you know um, I, I, you know what I mean? No, I I think to me like the Red Room is a better example of like how my dreams manifest of like there's one location Hmm. and there's a couple characters and they may look like something and they may represent that person who they look like or they might not um and then you you know i'm looking at Dottie and i look back and it's somebody different or i'm somewhere different like it's more it's more like um like flipping around a book of like, okay, I'm here now. The protagonist is me. The antagonist is whoever whoever is the bad guy in my dreams that night. Mm-hmm. And like, you just sort of assign the slots. This to me, um, the 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 Silencio, the theater. Mm-hmm. What was it called? Theater Silencio. Club Silencio. Club Silencio. Um, that felt the most dreamlike to me the way he was switching between languages Mm -hmm. um and honestly like the part where she collapsed but her voice kept going to me that was very very dreamlike um but other than that and maybe that's and i enjoyed the movie but it doesn't feel as like dreamlike to me because it's more to me this was not a dream but a like descent into insanity Okay. Which is a different thing than what I experienced because her, because you kind of see her, it's almost like the end of Usual Suspects is like throughout the movie, and I'm sure if I watch it again, you can see little things that she's pulling these names or these concepts from. And so it's more about this woman is sort of losing her her rationality and all and she's trying to build the story of how no no no, i could be a star i could be or or whatever and i see this name that that says something to me and i see this haircut that means something to me and i see Mm -hmm, this headshot mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and just sort of combines those as she's trying to because i think there's also an element of if i am an actor and Mm. i am failing there must be more to it than just bad luck no not even me but you know, you just get bad luck. And so there is, I think, a a um, 
a part within all of us that wants to grab onto control and find something to to blame for. Mm. I'm in a shitty mood today and I'm going to blame it on this. Or my career isn't going the way I want it to and I'm going to blame it on this. So to me, it seems more realistic that this... To me, I read it as this Betty character has manifested this entire Hollywood system around her that that's the reason she's not going to succeed. It's not her fault. Hmm. She did this like bomb ass in, um, um, hmm. audition, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. but they're like, doesn't matter how good you did. That movie is never going to get made. <laughs> and she makes eye contact with yeah. the handsome director and walks away. And Oh my God, that could have been her, her fucking um, singing in the rain moment when Gene Kelly and um, uh, <laughs> uh, what's her name? I know her name is Kathy in the movie. Like when they have their 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 meet cute or whatever. Like to me, it is her trying to retell her sad story that a million young blonde gorgeous women a year have. Yeah. But hers is different. Hers is. It's not her fault that she failed, and it's not just coincidence that other people succeeded. It's that I had this like mischance with this director, yeah. but this didn't yeah. happen. Or I, you know, I to me that's more more what it symbolizes to me sure. of sure, sure, sure. the tragedy of a being a young woman in Hollywood and how it chews them up and spits them out. Um, and I think my my gut tells me if this did get picked up as a series, that would have been more the focus. Sure. Um because he had to kind of close the loop on it. Right. It's easier to delve into the dream world. Right. Because you can kind of bullshit some whatever. Um, I would have, if for no other reason, I would have loved to see this get picked up as a series for Brent Prisco and Robert Forster, who were in just yeah. that opening sequence. Honestly, that... I get that he wanted he left the pilot episode intact mostly but but like honestly it's sort of it didn't irk me but it was like I don't need this it, like we're 10 minutes into this movie I don't need a comic break because everything's I mean yeah there was a horrible crash but like just oh, I don't we, think it was comic Oh, I thought they were sort of supposed to be like the more like they're just sort of two goobery guys who are. I mean, I just like the same way that like Kyle McLaughlin and and. Um, yeah, I don't think it was like oh, I didn't I didn't take it as distracting from anything. I just felt like it was. This is his approach to how like like uh, detectives are, and it I was guess just kind of regardless. It was a fully pointless scene. Like, and I get if they were making it into a series, they wanted those. Those were probably going to be our characters. Sure, that we because follow. yeah, they're yeah. but the reality is we didn't. So we just had a five minute scene with these like kind of goofy guys who had nothing to do with. But anything you needed else. to acknowledge that there was like some investigation into. They set up the fact that the kids all died. The like. Yeah, but... Like, there was a pearl necklace missing, so there's somebody missing. Like, they... Yeah. But it just never seemed to add up to anything. She wasn't right. on the and, run from the cops. And it would have, but, like... But she... She wasn't on the run from the cops, but she was... There was a hit out on her. So, uh, fine, but that, had nothing, that has nothing to do with the cops. 
if they had weaved that into the cops they were trying the cops were trying to arrest her and there was a hit out on her and the cops accidentally save her even though they're arresting her because no. it's fine but they it didn't pay off in any way it, you're right and it i think did, responsibly it should have been asked because this is a two and a half hour yeah, movie it didn't get paid off but it would have you know it, the cops would have found out that the reason that car crashed is because someone paid to kill her would have but right. we didn't see that sure. in the movie sure. so sure, what's sure, the sure. point of them yeah, yeah. i i don't don't disregard yeah. that there's like a I, yeah. story potential within them but why were yeah, they in this I, movie I, that, what that, did they bring that feels like a moment of he really really liked both of those guys which is and kept it in which is why they came back and both of them came back independently in season three of yeah. Robert Forster obviously played Frank Truman and Brent yeah. Briscoe played Detective Mackley so he got the opportunity to work with them again yeah. and I think I mean, yeah, I but guess, you're right. You're right. You're right. And you're I right. guess maybe for me, like this is a David. There's also a cutscene we didn't watch, but who, I mean, yeah, not who cares, but who fucking cares? It, it <laughs> yeah. didn't make it into the sure. movie. You're, I, right. you're right. I don't owe David Lynch an extra half hour of my <laughs> life to like investigate and make sure I got the movie right. He can have all my hours. Well, and also <laughs> it's a it's a David Lynch movie that is fundamentally about the relationship between two women. And it's like, well, we need to, like, just pack in these two white guys here in the beginning and see their weird, yeah. like, bickery relationship. Like, it just, it was, if it was an episode of yeah. a show, great. I love it. I want to see their journey. But that's not the movie that Dave Lynch ended up making. And I sure. think if sure, he sure, had sure. an editor who could yeah. could hold his ear, he should have absolutely cut that out. Because it's a two and a half hour it's, movie. I and mean, it clips along quickly, but that first yeah. half hour is it's, packed with it's nothing. edited by Mary Sweeney, who works almost exclusively with David Lynch. Mm-hmm. So they, the ears are there, but or it's interesting. she didn't see it either. She's, yeah. She did, yeah. I, I just think it was, a, it's yeah, it was genuine and irresponsible is such a big word for it. But like, pointless. You yeah. need, are you worried you're not going to have enough like white guys in trench coats in your movies? Like it's he has cop. He, it's just, I think it's David Lynch setting is, up. I think it's it. I think it's setting up the mystery and lulling you into the fact that this is reality, even though th- it wasn't. But the mystery was never really solved in a like satisfactory climax yeah. in a in a you know like a locked house mystery of like oh i know the murderer is in this very room that kind of thing like it to me this movie wasn't at all on the surface level it's about this weird relationship between these two women who are like barely clinging to reality and a deeper thing it's about the tragedy of hollywood and how it chews people mm-hmm. up and spits out maybe tertiary or whatever fouriery is is the mystery of this limo car crash like whatever it is fouriery is the word <laughs> yeah i mean i'll call webster's dictionary but i just it just felt indulgent and like it's sure. not like david lynch doesn't get to make the things he wants sometimes it feels like he he has this feeling of i never get to make the thing i want to make and has that sort of chip on his shoulder about it. Yeah. Even though realistically, yes, he gets you to have make whatever the fuck. He yes, wants you to have make. Dune, yeah. and yes, you have Elephant Man. But even Elephant Man. But you also, sir, you made with. a racer head. I feel like you are not allowed to complain about studios. Yeah. Forever, and I say the same thing to him. I mean, as there I was say no studio story, involved as, in as I say to head, yeah. as I say to Scorsese of like. 
David Lynch, if you're mad about studios interfering to the point that you're going to make an entire film that's like, fuck you yeah, to, to yeah, Hollywood, yeah. I bet you I bet you have $500,000 laying around and, and if, can like make some, put together Scorsese some money. If Scorsese wants to complain about movies being watched the, the appropriate way, don't make a Netflix movie. Like, <laughs> you made a movie for also, Netflix. Hey, People watch hey, that on their hey, fucking Scorsese, phone. Hey, Scorsese, maybe don't make the same movie every five yeah, years. God. We get it. We get it. Men are angry. I, I understand. They no, I've said this before, but things. I do want to reiterate, The Irishman is absolute hot garbage top to bottom. Okay. I, okay. Let's, I'm tired. <laughs> I'm done. Anyway, do you, uh, just to cap it, do you have any other... Like, I kind of feel like I gave my overarching thoughts on do you have a thing that makes helps this movie make sense to you or anything like that? That's the only thing I wanted to hear from you or whatever. Um, I think part of me wants to really lean into that one season, one season, one scene when they are, um, when he's auditioning and he sees and they have that very like golden era Hollywood zoom in on, on Naomi Watts' face. You're t- you're talking about the audition with the tan guy, the no, no, her no, no. audition, or your t- with, with um when he's auditioning the Thoreau. girls, yeah, okay, with gotcha, the, gotcha, when gotcha, I said gotcha, the, gotcha, the, gotcha. the golden era when they do the like snap zoom in sure. on her face, okay, got it, got it, um, got it and got it, it feels it. very very like 1940s Hollywood. Um, to me, I want that to be the linchpin of the forgive the pun, the linchpin hmm. and mm-hmm. of this movie of. In that moment, this movie could have become the very, re- the very oft-recorded Hollywood story of a little nothing, nobody mm-hmm. girl from Kansas or Ontario or whatever catches the eye of big shot handsome director, and he—it's it, the star is sure. born thing, right? But just with acting, I think that was—it's just that could have happened, and it just simply didn't, and things spiraled from there i guess is part of it i don't know i i yeah yeah. but you you relate more to the hollywood story rather than the personal story or no i mean i just think there's i feel like there's there's two simultaneous like this is a movie that's a stark criticism of hollywood yeah and it's a movie about dreams and desires and wants and wanting to make it in this Hollywood world and the two of those are running simultaneously I feel like and it's you can either take the approach of this is a dream world and you're living in someone's head mm-hmm. or it's you're living in Hollywood which is all bullshit also you know by both in I, either case they're both bullshit no I, I for me I think it's both I think okay. it is both dealing with the reality of a very cynical business in a cynical mm-hmm. city Excuse me. Um, and also, young women with young naive women who are going to get taken advantage mm-hmm. of. But this happens to be a woman who stands up for herself in that moment where yeah. she could have yeah. been taken advantage of. And that's, I mean, I think it is about, I don't know. I, I think the relationship between, I, I think the naivete and this world weariness. Between uh, between Betty and um, and Rita is really interesting, which I think becomes more complex when you add that Rita, who seems to be 
like I said, she's world aware. She seems to like know shit is dark and isn't naive and doesn't have rose tinted glasses on. However, she is the one who does not have a memory. Mm-hmm. And so she ostensibly the more mature one is reliant on this naive Betty who's staying at her rich aunt's yeah. house to try yeah, yeah. to like make it a big thing. I think it's somewhat about that. Um, I think the I really liked that it was a same sex relationship of because that the the story he told us up until the point where where they have sex is very much if one of them was male yeah that yeah. would be the the assumption the yeah. logical conclusion sure. Sure, that, sure, sure. that is a trope i've read a million times in different um romance novels of mm-hmm. oh the couch is so uncomfortable sleep here like the, the bed when, is so big when are they gonna get together like what's the yeah. yeah um so i think it's partly about that i think it's cynicism on hollywood of course um i think it's I mean, maybe this is just the lens I look at everything, but it's it's anti-capitalism. It's it. I think it tells us that capitalism and art do not generally mm-hmm, combine mm-hmm. very well. Um, um, all of those things. Yeah. Okay. Um, I enjoyed it. I thought it was interesting and thoughtful. I thought the uh, the women were treated better than many male writer directors treat women and I think that's really and I think that's one of the reasons that I have gotten I've really warmed up to David Lynch is that I think he treats his female characters as three-dimensional fully formed humans instead of the goal or the prize Mm -hmm. uh, which Mm -hmm. which which tends to be something we see in a lot of movies um yeah yeah all those things good yeah um so we've only got yeah, so one movie left. Technically, then... we have one movie left, mm-hmm. which is Inland Empire, which is a long one, and I'm very curious about it because have you it, not seen it before? I've seen it, and it is. So you're curious about your take? Oh, because I know you've never seen it, correct? And it is insane. And for me In... to call, go ahead. Yeah, for me to call a David Lynch movie insane means it makes less sense than every other movie we've put we've done thus far even a razorhead probably okay probably the they're comparable um but i'm excited because david their razorhead doesn't make a lot of sense i mean you can read into things and whatever obviously but it's a male-driven story. Why did you... Just, you made a face. No, just the way you were prepping this is like the reasons that you thought I would be interested. No. I wh- thought... Yeah, I am. I, so... So male-driven story is not eraser, generally one of eraser my... Eraserhead is my a male-driven story. And oh. I have my thoughts. Inland Empire is not. Inland Empire is... Oh. About a oh. woman who deals... It, it, it's, again, it's another... People have called the uh, Lost Highway, Mulholland Drive, Inland Empire, the his L.A. trilogy. Mm-hmm. It's about Hollywood again, to some degree. Um, and it's Laura Dern doing Laura fucking Dern. And I'm curious because it feels like it's almost full circle from Eraserhead, but from a woman's perspective. 
So I'm curious. I'm very curious to see because a lot of it is about how horrible Hollywood is to women, I think. Hmm. That's the vibe I get from it. But also I'm not a woman, so I can only project my male views on things because that's all I physically can do. Mm-hmm. Um, but anyway, I fucking love Mulholland Drive. It's maybe my... I, I've never been able to rank or whatever, but it might be my favorite Lynch film. I fucking love it because I'm... Every time I watch it, I'm always engaged. I'm always intrigued. I'm always trying to figure out more about it. More so than some of the other ones. I don't know. I love it. I'm excited about Inland Empire. Beyond that, I don't know what we're going to do. Maybe we'll do one more episode that's kind of a cap. But we might just be fucking done. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Get our Sundays back. Get our every other Sundays back. Whatever, yeah. All right. Uh, Then we will talk to you in two weeks. I I will say real quick, just uh, at the end of this, we... Did your um, meetup thing for your other podcast mm-hmm. and quick shout out to Brian and Matt who are listeners of this podcast who showed up to that. Yeah, it was and great. Said hi. Guys. It was nice meeting people and hats off. Yeah, Cheers. super a lot of fun. Okay, well, I think we're both sleepy because we sound like NPR hosts. So um, <laughs> sweaty balls. <laughs> yep, that's what I meant. Okay, we'll talk to you in two weeks. Okay, bye. bye. Thank you for listening to Cooper Duper, a Twin Peaks podcast for regular people, hosted by Michael Greif and me, Jessica Blumke Greif. Our podcast logo is by Foraker Creative. You can follow them at Foraker Creative. Our theme music is by Brad Chactus. You can always email us at cooperduperpod at gmail.com. Please go on iTunes and leave us a positive review and tell a friend. We'll see you next week.